three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Cheap Shot Discussions, episode whatever it is. Yeah, I, we, we, we're not we even keeping tracking anymore. Fuck it. We stopped, uh, well, we stopped numbering them during the recordings. Uh, we do, they do get numbered when we publish, but fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. All right, gotta get the little scribe notepad out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta get in the habit of doing this shit. So, my your buddy Aaron, he's staying at my house slash your house. Which the people don't know who he is yet, because that other episode is not gonna air. Right, right, it's not gonna air. But anyway, like, there's a friend of yours staying at my house. Yep. Which you're paying me rent to live in. Correct. Um. And I offered him a place to stay for like about a week out of the kindness of my heart. Very kind. Um, Very kind thing to do. And today you tell me that like he was doing some things I disagree with. Yep, some alleged drug use. We'll put it that way. Yeah, allegedly. I mean, I didn't see it happen, but I heard it. So, you know... I uh he wouldn't be staying here ha- had I known about that beforehand. Um yeah. Uh and he has one more day to find a place to stay. Yep. So the chapter's coming to an end. Uh yeah. And uh, my my wife is super suspicious of him and does not want him here at all. Yeah. Like at all. Yeah, well I don't I don't She's blame just her. being kind. He's got a very strange demeanor. Which, if you knew him, like, if you knew him as long as I've known him for, he's just, he's so involved in bad people, with bad people, and it's cutting the ties to those friends. Like, dude, I've had friends that I've had to cut ties with. Fuck, I've cu- I cut ties with him for a long time, because I don't want that type of energy. Yeah, and it, it's funny, because, like, when I talk to him, he tells me about, like, the run-ins with the law that he's had. And he's like, I take responsibility for it, but then he also like makes up these stupid little stories as to why he's gotten in trouble where it shouldn't have been him. Right. So he's like on the fence about actually being an adult and taking responsibility for it. And yeah, dude, it's I, a hard I, thing to do. I mean, like, dude, you fucked up. Like, okay, move on. Yeah, that's learn where, from it and grow. That's know? where I kind of disagree with the whole raving crowd, is because I think like he's talks about how how good of an influence it is or whatever um and i'm i'm sitting here like you're surrounding yourself with other people that are too afraid to make like serious decisions in their life or like save their money and uh, going to a concert or whatever every like make if i went to them it'd be like two times a year maybe yeah and the fact that they go to these things like every month and they like drive their cars there and it's just sporadic and no thinking involved it's just like off the cuff. And that, right. like a lot of people will say it's good to live in the moment. And I totally, totally agree with that. It's good to like optimize your day for what you're after, but you have to set your goals long term uh, and then optimize your day accordingly with those goals in True. mind. Because if you just live day to day with no goals, you just end up in this freaking loop of insanity almost. True. Um, and one, one thing that I... Uh I saw, um, like, with him is he doesn't really seem to have much of a plan either. Like, and and personally, like, 
if you study the teachings of like Buddhism and stuff, they did, he, Buddhism is 100% about being in the moment, but in a different way. It's not saying don't have a plan or a drive to accomplish something. It's saying yeah. wherever you are right now in your plan or in your day, be there. Be aware right. of the creaks in the floor around your feet. Like, be yeah. aware of, you know, the the humming of the office fan on the other side of the room. Like, you're you're working towards something, but just be, like, cognizant and, like, absorb what the universe is giving you from your surroundings right now. Yeah, Duncan Trussell, which is a guy that I listen to on podcasts, very insightful guy. He's a Buddhist. Um, he put it so well, and I think I think it, it resonated with me as far as like understanding what it meant. And he asked the guy he was on the podcast with, "Have you had a fight with your wife?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course." He's like, "You know when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you've forgotten all about it, and there's that little bit of blissness where you're just laying in your bed and you haven't like reassociated." what's going on in your life yet yeah he's like the goal is to live in that all of the time yes yes absolutely and, and that that because i felt that feeling but i think everyone's felt the feeling of waking up and like not quite being fully conscious yet and you get not that. not knowing like not remembering oh shit i've got the power bill due today right. and i've only got 20 dollars in my account yeah because all know? that's bullshit like that's the association of the ego creeping back in yeah yeah and, and i I've kind of um, unfortunately stopped my Buddhist practice. I still heavily believe in it. Yeah. Um, it's just like I, I, I need to do what I'm talking about, basically, because uh, I got, like, super wrapped up into school and, like, chasing this this career and this dream. And, and now, um, you know, but before I knew know it, like, something that, um meant so much to me is on the back burner right now and it's weird when that happens right i i I don't want it to be that way like for me i i kind of came to buddhism and stuff when i got back from afghanistan i was having um some like issues with just uh not just like memories or whatever or but like my marriage was having issues it was it's just a huge adjustment you leave and every day you grow as a person regardless of where you're at in the world mhm i didn't see my wife for like almost 10 months and we were completely different people by the time we saw each other again right yeah um but i had a friend at the time who uh who's buddhist and like he he's just very like I wouldn't even say it's zen because he doesn't practice zen buddhism but he like he just like is very kind of just accepting of what what the world feeds him yeah um and like analyzes it and moves on and it doesn't exist after that yeah right and I was like, I, I, I need to get to that place. And so I started attending a Buddhist church in Southern California, um, a Buddhist temple, um, Vista Buddhist temple uh, specifically. And uh, it, it was a life-changing moment. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I want to be back in that space, but that's going to take a lot of, um, religious practice again. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just, I, I just personally, I just need to make it a higher priority. Like I can make all the excuses I want in the book. Like, Oh, I'm in school. Yeah. I have a new house that needs some work done on it. Blah, blah, blah. But like really like an hour out of each day is not that hard to, to give up to get back there. Right. Um, and it's, I, it's just laziness at this point on my part. I truly believe that you never fully regress. So like if you've done a practice for a long time, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's religious practice. Um, like you were good at a certain skill, like maybe playing an instrument, um, anything that you do, I feel you'll have a slight dip. So it's like learning, 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 stop doing it. And it kind of goes down a little bit, but you'll never hit that rock bottom that you were at originally. Oh, I agree. I agree. Cause there's, there's times like I find myself, um, it, it's the riding the bike metaphor, right? I mean like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like riding a bike. I haven't done this in five years. Well, do it a couple times and you'll be back into it. You know? Right. Like, You'll be fine. Yeah, you see it with like the bodybuilders and stuff. I've seen bodybuilders take off like 10 years and then they get back into eating right and then lifting heavy and doing all the stuff and they get huge again within two, three months. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's, it, one, it's the muscle memory and the cells are already developed. They're just shrunk and everything. But at the same time, you already possess the knowledge to get there. Same thing exactly. if you, same thing if you had millions of dollars and went bankrupt, you have the knowledge to get back there. And that's why Dave a lot Ramsey. of, yeah, a lot of millionaires get back there really, really quick. Yeah, um, yeah, and and for for me, like I, how you're saying, like there's a little bit of a dip, but you don't fully regress. Uh, <clears throat> for me, I've noticed like you know uh, points throughout my life over the last couple years, just dealing with school and. <sighs> for lack of a better term, idiots in society and school. And, yeah. uh, like I would be enraged, absolutely enraged if it were like 2012, 2013. Yeah. I'd be a fucking maniac over it. Like, even if you already had your knowledge, like if you could keep all of your knowledge, no, I'm saying like back then. Okay. And then, I went through this like personal, like very personal spiritual and mental change over like the course of the last two or three years of me living in San Diego. And, and now like I notice when I'm starting, like I'm not, I don't even get to that full point of like being irate. Like mm-hmm. I notice myself like getting upset and getting like getting worked up and I'm able to kind of reel it in a little bit. Yeah. You know, even, even now, even though I haven't, um, gone to Sangha, uh, which is the, uh, basically the, the church uh, for, for Buddhist temples. It's like the community that goes to a Buddhist temple, um, in over a year. Yeah, uh, like I, I'm still able to kind of like go like, oh, I'm I'm starting to hit this level where I don't like to be, and yeah. I need to I need to stop. I need to just like focus on on whatever the the fucking world is is 
doing around me right now. Right. Cause that's, that's kind of what my meditation practice is, is like, um, there's tons of different ways to meditate. And the, the, uh, practice I got into is from the Jodo, uh, Jodo, uh, Shinshu. Okay. Uh, facet. Um, uh, of, uh, Japanese Buddha, Buddhism. And, uh, that was really made for people that are like practitioners of Buddhism that were the workers of society mm -hmm. and they couldn't become monks because, you know, everyone needs to eat. We need farmers, but we want these people to still be able to practice their beliefs somehow without fully committing to be being a monk. Right. Okay. Um, and, and so, uh, for, for, for that facet, it's like meditation is, is everything. Um, it can be anything like holding this baseball in my hand and just like feeling and appreciating the ridges and like really connecting with like the sensation in my hands right now, you know? Yeah. Um, and it sounds super hippy dippy, especially if you know me, like I'm a gun toting American, but it, it really does change, change your life when you're able to shift your perspective even just a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. Being present or like consciously aware is a skill that a lot of people don't have. And, um, it's sad because that's the key to like personal freedom in my opinion. Absolutely. If you're. My idea of like freedom is the ability to practice whatever you believe on a deep level, not even just religion or whatever. It's right. personal individuality and personal freedom to develop at whatever pace that you have. Everyone has the opportunity to develop themselves in some way. Most choose not to. Most choose just to kind of mask their feelings. Like it is really strange. It, and it, that is a uniquely American thing. Right. Like, yeah. it's, it's like this old cowboy freaking Wild West, um, stiff upper lip kind of mentality. Yeah. And, which there is some level of narcissism in that. And that's, yes. but that's, I think narcissism can be positive in the sense that self development can lead to the well being of other people. Uh, I'm, I'm a firm belief that I can't help anybody unless I'm in a good position myself. Yeah. If I start trying to help people, if I have $5 in my bank account, You're I, I can, I can do some things, but I'm not going to be able to make as big of a difference if I focus on myself for a while, get myself in a good position and then do give back in other ways. So there was a, there's a book by a Christian, uh, author god i i cannot for the life of me remember it right now um it's really short it's like it'd take maybe most people an hour to read uh and he's he talks at one point about in the book like where his his daughter they're they're on a vacation or something i can't it's been like 13 years since i've read this book okay but um they're they're on a vacation or or something they're they're out of their hometown for some reason and she just sees like these people living in squalor and homelessness and just like 
struggling to live, right? Yeah. And she's like, if I had a million dollars, I'd just give it all away to them. And um, and he was like, he like stops her and is like, no, that's, I mean, that's a good place to be mm-hmm. in your heart, but you know, you have to, you, you should take half of your money and give it to them and take the other half and grow it so you can continue to give. Yeah. And, uh, and she's like, no, I just need that. Like all these people need help right now. And so like, she's, she was like so passionate, like her heart was broken for these people. Yeah. But she couldn't remember. Well, she couldn't necessarily like not remember, but like she couldn't wrap her head around the fact that like, if you do take care of your own stuff, like, like if you take care of yourself physically, one day you might have to help lift a, a car off of somebody in a rollover accident. Right. You know, um, kind of like that, that whole mentality. And her dad was trying to explain that to her and she was just so heartbroken for the people. It's really a touching story, but that's honestly, that's how my mom is. Really? Um, like. I've only got $10 here. Here's everything yep. I've got. If, if they had a hundred dollars in their bank account and I was struggling, they would give that to me and not worry about themselves whatsoever. Do you think that's cause you're their kid or would they do that for anybody? They do that for a lot of people, actually coworkers, whatever. My mom has this mentality. She's like, and it, I think it's a, it's widespread mentality of like, I'm a worthless vessel. I can't do anything good with this. Here it is. Right. And that's very widespread. And really that comes and it's, it's harsh and that's a good, like you said, it's a good place to be in your heart, but it shows a lack of self-development as well. Um, because no, it's dead. Oh, it's dead. Um, I think mine's about dead too. I think it shows a lack of self-development because when you start developing yourself and meditating and realize what you can achieve as an individual, um, it changes the perception of being like, Oh, I need to get my shit together. It's like if you're a better person, if you're a better individual, you can't be a piece of shit person and maintain good relationships with anyone. It like just doesn't it doesn't happen. It can't happen. If you're if you're in a place where you're like resenting yourself or you hate yourself, how can you love someone else? Like that that's funny because I know um you don't necessarily agree with it, but uh that show that Liz has been watching, RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Every episode, um RuPaul, the like head drag um, queen person, mm-hmm. uh, been in movies and all this other shit, uh, says, if you can't love yourself, how the hell can you love anyone else? Yeah, it's true. And um, I know you don't necessarily agree with that uh, lifestyle, but it... It, what you're saying, like, it, I think it re- resonates with a lot of people and they just don't take the time to really examine it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like, so, and America's horrible about this. Like, we're just so busy on, okay, I need to wake up at five. I need to be to work by 630. I need, you know, and then I need to collate all this or do this or do that. Yeah. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to, then I have to make dinner for the family. And then, you know, I got to clean up after dinner and then I'm going to sleep. And like, they they just get stuck in this weird cycle where they, they don't take time to consider, um, personal growth or health. And, yeah. uh, that's, 
that's also a, a uniquely American thing too. Like if you go to foreign countries, China, Japan, like any of the Asian countries, really is a good example. Uh, e- even Central America. Yeah. Um. Or parts of Europe. Like when I was living uh, in in Europe for a little while, like they. The, the shop owners, it, it was a very interesting dynamic. Like, they're like, oh, I need to take some time off. And they'll just shut their shop down randomly. Right. And it's like business hours, 9 to 10, 9, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Yeah. And you show up, and it's like 5 p.m., and they're not there, and the store's closed, and you're like, what the hell? And they're like, oh, he's probably just spending time for himself or his family. Yeah. You know, or herself and her family. Right. And Americans, we just can't get behind that for some reason. Yeah, it's a, it's literally the mentality of like, oh, your hours say this, I'm going to sue you. You're not open. I'm going to sue you. Yeah. What you, I mean, you can't really do, but in that circumstance. But like, it, it's also like, I feel like Americans, us as Americans, we have a deep sense of like o- obligation to carry out what... It says in writing. Yeah. Where like other societies aren't like that, you know? It is weird. It's a whole schedule. Even the fact that we associate new days with a day of the week, like it cycles. Right. Like Sunday starts over again. Right. Um, right. So it's like we associate time and and we say like, oh, it's Sunday, these hours, these hours, these hours. And we get in this cycle of it being literally a seven day loop. Yeah. And it's really strange because it's not even that. It's a progression throughout life. Yeah, and and if, like, anyone that's listening to this, I encourage you to to sit down right now. Turn off this podcast. Sit down. Take a hard look at yourself and ask yourself, am I the same person I was a year ago? Am I the same person I was two years ago? Yeah. And you're not... Which is fine. Growth happens. Change happens. What have you done differently those last that last year or two? Probably nothing. Right. You've just been grinding away at the will. Right. And um, your your growth can be so much deeper and more meaningful if you just take time to. Like, be like, oh, instead of only um, stocking up my vacation time or my my sick days just in case, I'm going to do, I, I'm going to go to Costa Rica for three weeks. Yeah. And I'm going to live in a small village. I'm going to, like, stay in a small village in Costa Rica for three weeks and not even do the touristy stuff. Just, like, be amongst the people there. Right. And... And like that, that'll change your perspective drastically. That'll, that'll change you more than a year of working in a fucking cubicle day after day, week after week. Yeah. You know, that those three weeks will be life changing. I promise you like whatever it is. 
you know i think cubicle work is a good thing to have like if you spend five years doing that it gives you great perspective as to why you don't want to do that forever <laughs> like yeah but there's there's so many people that do it forever they do and that and the sad thing is is it's and i think it might be our generational gap between the boomers and where it's transitioned to now is because back then it was like without question that's just what you do yeah that you, like you, you this don't is ask what questions. most jobs look like now. You need a job. This is it. You get out of high school. You go to college. You work a job. You work forty to fifty years, and then you retire. And then you spend then then you get to spend the time doing what you want to do. Yeah. And here here's the thing that I I found super interesting about this concept, since we're still on it. Um, my grandfather. Uh, well, not I called him grandpa, but he was actually my great grandpa. Uh, used to look at the rest of the family and say, retirement's backwards. It's completely backwards. And I was like, like, what do you mean? And he's like, I'm 85 years old. I can't enjoy anything that I want to do. I'm old. I'm falling apart, you know, like... I'm still living and I enjoy having like my family and stuff, but he's like, when you're young, get out and do what you want to do. Grow during that time because retirement, like waiting till retirement to go on your backpacking trip through like Southern Africa or whatever. Yeah. You're not going to be able to appreciate it. You're going to be 60. Your body's going to be worn out. And, like, that's the point he was trying to get across to me is, like, live. Yeah. You've got – and he died four years later. Right. And he was, like, trying to tell all of us uh, great grandkids, you know, live. Like, work will be there tomorrow, you know. Like, live. Take the time you have now as – a young person, take advantage of your health and live your life and grow from it and like meet new people and learn new things yeah. outside of this country. And this is a man that went, um, so I was like pretty young when he was talking to me about this. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like back in the nineties. Uh, and he, it's something that stuck with me clearly, but he, he was a World War II veteran. Up until the war broke out, he'd never left the country. Hardly ever left the state, even, really. Okay. And um, the war broke out. He joined up. They sent him to Europe, and he got to see, like, I mean, like, unfortunately, the atrocities of war, but he also got to see how the free sectors of France, how the people in France lived their life. Okay. You know? Yeah. And like, so he got a, he got to grow a little bit from just seeing how other people are. And he, he was trying to stress to me, like, that's the important thing, you know, like take advantage of your youth. So I don't know. No, that's a good, that's a good perspective to have because yeah, like you said, we, we work like we we have this idea that you have to set yourself up to work for what you want when in fact you can you can have what you want right now and if there's one thing i could take back when i started working it would be to just do what i love and find a way to make money doing that somehow yeah um 
And I think that's going to transition. I think we're going to see a big shift in how schooling even works. I, I'm really hoping so. I'm really hoping so. Because if you can find a way to monetize what you love, it's just... Then it becomes like... If we teach in school how to have... Not even a... There's, work-life balance should not exist. Just the, It should just be life. It should be life doing what you love and then being like, I'm going to take three months off because I have the financial means to do so. That's what entrepreneurialism is meant to be. It's not meant to be this balancing of like, oh, if I work this many hours and I get this many vacation hours, then I can, you know, take two weeks off and then go do this vacation and then I have to work another year before I can have that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. That's, I mean, that's why I left uh, RMP when I did because yeah. I asked Matt to take two weeks off and he was like him and Han and beating around the bush. And I was like, fine, I'm done. You know, I, it, it wasn't even like a, a huge excursion or anything, but I wanted to go climbing with my friends in Joshua tree for a week. Yeah. And he was like, and some people may call that short sighted. First of all, to give you a little bit of background, it was an unarmed security position at a power plant. So I don't really give a shit. Yeah. It's not anything that I wanted to do as far as a career. Um, but like, it's like how I was talking about meditation earlier and right. how in the mind of like, uh, Jodo Shinshu medica- uh, meditation, like anything can be meditation. Eating your lunch can be meditation. Yeah. And for me, that's kind of what rock climbing is. You're right. 100% focused and there and in the moment and you like you you feel all the pressure points on your body and you're like you feel the friction of the rock under your feet and your hands and it's just and i was like i know i'm starting school soon i was already kind of in school at that point yep but i was like i know school is going to get hard and mm-hmm. it's going to get hard fast and this is my last opportunity to go and do this with people that i love right for probably about two years. Yeah. And so I'm going to take full advantage of this. Right. So I did. That's a good move to have. And it's weird because like the society we live in now, like even today, I went into work two hours late today. And that's, right. that's just one of those things like, oh, I didn't have an, and I'm fortunate enough to have a job that I can do that. Um, but since I've worked in other positions, there's always that thought in the back of your mind, like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Oh, somebody else, somebody else gets to determine my well-being, and that's a company. And it's like these these companies' calendars get sent out, and it's so funny how much we associate individuality by the company that we work at. And a very an American thing to do is you ask, like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? What's your work? What, what's and that's not that's not how it's treated in most of the rest of the world. It's like, what do you enjoy doing? Right. Um, and it's just so bizarre. And I think it's a 1940s, 50s mentality that we're slowly creeping out of because we're having these conversations now. And uh, it'll be to the point eventually. I mean, I was talking to Jordan. For those of you who don't know, he's a he's a friend who he's a mason. He lays brick. Um. He, we were talking about how the nine to five mentality might be dead within the next 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, 
because we're aware of that now and it's it's more finding fulfillment in your every day-to-day life it shouldn't be getting up and being dreading going to work it should be getting up and thinking like using your head to determine like what can you do for somebody like how can how can i be happy today how can i make other people's happy today and and rolling off that mentality or i'm pause there you go i 100 percent agree um it's I, I I do think the nine to five ideal is going to go by the wayside. And I, I mean of course there's still gonna be nine to five jobs out there, but um the people working them is they're gonna have a different idea of what it is. Yeah. Right? Like like nine to five should be entry level to freedom. Right. I, I think nine right. to five when you're when you're learning from somebody cuz that's how I when I when I got done with Vasa and I transitioned to this job I had the mentality of I'm not working this job to make someone else money I'm making this decision to learn from the people that are doing so so that maybe one day I can have the time freedom and that's what I've pushed for is like even going from uh 8 hour shifts 5 days a week to 410s now you have one extra day. I have one extra day. And it's slowly inching towards getting more time for myself so I can take what I've learned and apply that into my free time. Um, and, and I think that's where mentorship and it comes into play. And it wasn't until later in my life, probably 22, 23, that I realized um, I, don't, like, I don't know shit. And yeah. as long as you maintain that mentality your whole life, You'll learn so much from the people that yes. are achieving things. Yes. Um, I've, I, and I've applied that into weightlifting. I've applied that into business. I've applied that into everything. Is it, Yeah. I want to learn what this guy knows, and I'm willing to sit here and listen to his philosophy. And maybe I interpret that differently than how he's executing. Like maybe I have a different perspective because of experience that I've had, but you have to get that fundamental experience um, cause I work at like a baseline level of, I know the problems of the company. And if I know the problems of the company, I have an advantage over some of the higher ups, but at the same time, you have to look at the higher ups and the direction and their perspective. Um, and it's, it's really building your own pie. It's taking a piece of pie from every job you've had and building your own. And, you know, it, and really what it comes down to, if you take the jump or you work for someone the rest of your life is, is courage. It's, the willing to lose what you have in order to get something better. It's gambling in a sense, but so, so here's the thing is, um, I want to bring up a couple of points off of what you said. First Mm -hmm. of all, the, the learning from everyone around you, uh, my great grandmother on my dad's side, she died at about a hundred years old. Um, when she was about 95, my dad asked her, uh, how would it be to go back and be 65 again? Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what her response was? Hmm. And be that naive? Heavens no. <laughs> like, that spoke fucking volumes to me. Yeah. Because my dad is approaching his 60s right now. Mm -hmm. And I look at him and I'm like, he's a fucking sage, dude. Like, he's this wise old 
man, he's got all this experience. Yeah. And my great grandmother, 10 years ago, said, I don't want to be that as naive as I was when I was 65. Right. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You, you, you know, like. And it's, it's really, and I think that's why I love the time period we live in now is because no matter what, like, that's why I love podcasts and listening to them is because I'm taking in perspective from these people. I truly believe that this generation is a really special generation because we can soak up so much knowledge if we want to. Right. From books, from podcasts, um, and podcasts, I don't even really view as entertainment. I view it almost the same as like an audiobook or reading because you can listen to a podcast for anything like comedy. Uh, yeah, there's one on um, history. There's one on NPR called The Hidden, Hidden Brain, and it's literally just about like neuroscience every single week. We're exposed to so much knowledge now. Like, really, this is an amazing time to live. It's incredible. All these medical advancements, all of this crazy stuff that we have access to, yet most people still would rather... I mean, we're drinking alcohol now, but most people would rather do that. Isn't that crazy that the fundamental thing that most people look forward to at the weekends are like, I'm working towards the weekends. And then yeah. like, what did you do to work? What did you do this weekend? I slept. Oh, we got fucked up. Like we got dumber than we are at our baseline. Like yeah. that's what we work for is to get dumber. <laughs> like that's what yeah, most people yeah, do. Yeah. Um, that, that was a thing I noticed a lot when I was in the military is like people come in and brag about how, how drunk they got over the weekend or, yeah. Even just the night before, and I I viewed that as like, what the fuck? And I still view that as what the fuck. Like if I get fucking shammered, plastered, yeah. Like I'm embarrassed of myself. Yeah, it's like shameful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's it's super shameful. Like I'm not proud of myself. It, it, if I do that, I'm like, okay, I'm not drinking for like two weeks because I feel like I have to make up to myself for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, and, and that's, that's a result I think of being surrounded by good people. Cause if you're surrounded by shit people, then it's normalized. Right. And you just kind of adopt that into your lifestyle. And I think Aaron's in kind of that situation now. Yeah. And I had a neighbor like that, like yeah. got plastered multiple times a week, drank at least every day. I don't even do that. Like, we drink on this, and we drink pretty heavily on this podcast. Yeah. But, um, and binge drinking is not okay. I'm going to say that from a medical standpoint. Yeah, definitely Like, not. just because you don't drink six out of seven days of the week doesn't mean you should drink what the standard is um, and make up for it all in one time frame. Right, like, yeah. it's not okay to do that. Yeah, it's definitely not. But, uh like I, I had a neighbor of mine and she struggled with drugs and addiction and was part of the criminal element, definitely has a record, a felony record. And um, it was kind of like that's... She was trying to put her life back together, but she's only going to get to a certain point because she's still 
in in that like yeah um cohort of people right, right. where yeah, yeah. where um i'd say probably 70% of her friends are still on the other side of that line yeah you know yeah and um it's unfortunate and i want to get her on here because she has done a lot to change her life like she got her daughter back from dcfs and, and all this other stuff but um when like she's made huge leaps and bounds but she'll never go as far as her daughter will right which is kind of what you hope for as a parent but for she'll sure. never never go as far as her daughter will as long as she can keep her daughter from that element right of society yeah and it's a prog- it's for sure progression through generation I look at my parents, right? And there are times where I feel like, like, shit, I have nothing going on in my life. Like, I need to do more. I need to do more. I need to do more. And I'll I'll regress back to going with my parents. And most of, and a lot of that generation is like, what do they do? They get home from work. They sit and they watch TV. And it's the fact that all of these extra things that we do. I mean, we do podcasting. You do art. um, Yeah, I've got a pit picture going in the living room i haven't worked on it in a couple days but yeah it's there the fact that those things like from our parents perspectives that would probably be a way more interesting life just the fact that you take extra initiatives like just doing a podcast of in itself is so rare right and if like now it's normalized for us but for most people it's like oh shit you do that you do that wow i listen i know what a podcast you guys do that like it's it's that same mentality. It's um, right, right. Yeah. Or taking the time to practice a skill that you're passionate about. For me, it's art. Um, yeah. That that picture I have out there is infinitely better than something I would have created three years ago. Yeah. But I look at it and I'm like, I can still get better. Like I look right. at that, and um, so. If you go out and look at that picture, it mm-hmm. looks like uh, the face looks closer to um, Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going for Scarlett Johansson. Yep. I was going for Eliza Coop. Okay. And um, I, I'm like, you know, it still looks like a person. It's still good. Like, by the standards of, like, 90% of America, that's a good picture. Right. Um, but... I look at it and I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? And that's why I've kind of stopped on it right now because I'm like really examining the face and the shoulders portion of it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, what can I learn from this? I'm going to keep trying to get her face down until I get it down. Yep. You know, like I'm going to work at this until I can draw a picture of this woman's face that looks like a photograph. Right. And then I'll move on to someone else and start doing the same thing. Right. But I bet it'll be a faster progression with the next person. Yeah. I think, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's learning over time. That's honestly, it's funny enough. Like you like art. I'm, I'm into like bodybuilding and whatnot. Bodybuilding is such an art form to me, just like carving a statue or something that it's, it's proportion and I've learned like art, if I ever did art, I would have an understanding of the anatomy of like what is proportional. Cause now I could tell you, 
uh, right. like waist size, your arm, arm size should be the size of the neck. Same thing with the calf muscles should be symmetrical, all the same. Right. The legs should be two thirds the size of the waist. If you follow those parameters in art, it creates a physique of appeal. Statue of David. I, Statue of David, I'm not quite sure. But it's about proportion. It's about really looking at it and like what's appealing to the eye. Well, what's, and so I'm going to ask you this like, are, you're not talking about people like Phil Heath, right? No. Okay. Okay. Nope. So I don't think that's aesthetically pleasing. No, it's not. I think what bodybuilding should be and is, and it's lost its way, is, is aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It's like carving a statue, but doing it with your own body. And okay. that, that's so, what is lost in the art of bodybuilding. It's not about... So, uh, go ahead. Sorry. It's, it's, not about the, it's not about the fucking... Uh, it, it, it's who's not got the about the biggest biceps or well, yeah, that's what it's about now. It's who can get the biggest, who can get the most mass. And it's disgusting because it's not visually appealing. Right. It's an art form. The, the whole thing of what I like about bodybuilding is it's not only that, but it's also, it's not only the, uh, cause I mean, even if you had the perfect symmetry, you do it in art, for example, it's also about presentation. How do you pose? Like, if you look at Arnold and the classic guys, they're very fluid and showing off, like, certain things. And now it's like, turn to the left, do this pose, da-da-da-da-da. It's taken the art out of the thing, and it has become a sport. Bodybuilding used to be an art. Now it's a sport. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's the same thing with... I guess what I'm getting at is... Art form exists in everything. It's just having a visual eye for it and uh, being able to kind of refine that and look at it from a objective. Yeah. Subjective? Objective? Objective is where um, you don't put your own feelings into yeah. it. Yeah. So you have to look at it from an objective perspective. And that's what I like about bodybuilding is because it requires a level of meditation to separate your ego from what you see. Right. Um, right. That, that's the only reason that I like that is because I consider that an art form. I look at bodybuilding as an art form. I don't view it as like, Oh, I want to look good to get all the bitches. Yeah. Uh, I mean that it helps with that. It definitely does, but it also, it helps even more if you don't focus on that and you focus on the art. Right. You want to get women focus on something more focus in gorge yourself in something. Yeah. Get, become a master at your craft like the blacksmiths back in the day aren't crafting swords being like i'm gonna get all the bitches for making this thing they're like sitting there they're like like it's an art form right right and uh i think that's what's missing a lot of the time now is we're all caught up in money we're all caught up in fame that's a big thing yeah. like everyone wants to get famous nobody wants to perfect their art see and for me um I love drawing. I I love painting. I've I've found a love for painting over the last like year or so. Yeah. And um I just really really uh and enjoy it and I I want to be better at it for the sake of just being able to create something better. Like yeah. I don't want notoriety. 
I want to be able to look at something and be like, I'm proud of that. Right. Uh, and as long as you have a high standard, it trickles off because like you said earlier, um, most people don't chase that. So when you hold yourself to that high standard and create something beautiful to your perspective, most everyone else thinks it's even more amazing than you think it is. Right. So that's where it's like focusing on the art, focusing on what you want, focusing on, it comes back to the narcissism a little bit, but it's the narcissism to drive other people. Um, Well, and I don't even view it as driving other people. I just like, I'm not expecting to be the next Dolly or Picasso or Leonardo or, mm -hmm. you know, like, but if I can get to a level that's even half as good as those guys, yeah, I will feel like I have accomplished something in my life with my art that can be handed down to my family. Yes, yeah. That they'll be like, your grandfather painted this, you know, yeah, or he he drew this, and like have them like be able to really appreciate it. Like I'm not expecting to be in a museum, right. I'm not, like, at all, but I want something that can be appreciated for what it is and maybe even a little deeper later on after I'm gone. Yep. I guess that's part of my drive to have kids, too, is, like, I want to create something better than than me. Yep. And that might be kind of a harsh thing to think of when it comes to kids. I, like... My mom was a bitch when I was growing up when, uh, like, you know, we'd get C's. We were in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, like even in elementary school. Right. And I'm not going to do that with my kids. You but know? even then, like her being that way caused you to have the perspective as to what you want and learn from that's not what you want. And I, th- right, right. I think I think that's why grandparents and parents get along so well is because it's it's like a it skips a generation. Your grandparents, your mom probably did things that your grandparents were like, "Fuck, I can't stand this." So your mom rebelled against that, and then she did it her way. You came along, right. and then you're like, "Well, fuck that! I don't like that." And the grandparent it like skips. So let let me tell you something, to a degree, okay. My relationship with my mother is such that um, I I clearly didn't follow through with it. But at the time, I was 100% committed. Uh, I made a plan in middle school to disappear when I turned, when I became an adult. I didn't know, like, at what time during adulthood this would happen. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I'm going to learn German. I'm going to learn it fluently. I'm going to move out of the country. I'm going to get myself a job over there, and I'll never fucking deal with her again. That's how much I fucking hated her. Yeah. And um, and now I'm just kind of like, well, I've got a life and stuff here. Uh, if I didn't, I would probably be pursuing other things, uh, like my friend Svetlana. She's an amazing person, but, uh, um, I look at me having kids and it's like when you're in elementary school, 
regardless of the grades you get, you're probably getting bumped up to the next grade. Yeah. Like, let the kid be a kid. Quiz them yourself. Make sure they understand the concepts that are being passed to them in school. Yeah. But fucking let them be a kid, man. A's right. and B's don't matter in elementary school. Right. They don't matter in middle school. Yeah. You know? Like, they kind of start to matter in high school, depending on if that person wants to go to a nice college or whatever. But, yeah, like, you know, my mom was such a stickler when it came to the fucking grades, dude, that uh, I, I did not... I, I can look back and genuinely say I did not enjoy my childhood yeah. when I was in school because because of that. Right. You know, and... I don't want that for my kids. I want them to be kids, man. Like, hey, you know, I, I understand there's a certain aspect of creating discipline by doing homework and stuff. But you getting an A in, in spelling in third grade does not, like, I don't care. Did you pass? Did you pass? Yeah. Yes. Cool. Go play with your friends. Yep. You know, like... That's how I view... Parenting for me is creating a solid of enough communication that you can have communication and be on the same level of understanding and hopefully trickle down some wisdom yes. because you have that close communication. Yeah. Um, like, I don't want to... I'm not going to be the strict parent. It's just not going to happen. But at the same time, I expect a lot from what kids I'll have someday. I think I'll have kids. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I, I want to have that connection of being like, they respect me, but they also view me as a friend. Cause I think that's a fine line to walk. It's a hard line to walk. Um, but I think the only way you can do that is being a really good example, dude. Yes, I yes. hate, there's a lot of things about Christianity. I do not like, but if you take the basic principle of leading by example, if you can be the best version of yourself so that people want to be more like you, they will gravitate towards that and they'll have a, a, a greater um, want to be more like you. That's that's the basis from Christi what Christianity means to me is it's not about the stories that are told in the books and blah, blah, blah. It's about the example thing. If I can be an example to somebody, that's what matters to me. So, Well, I think that's the most important thing is like walk the walk. Mm -hmm. If you walk the walk, you don't have to talk the talk, you know? It's true. Like, like, I don't want my kids to end up like me, so I'm going to force them to do this. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And And... Um, my, my dad, uh, and I've probably brought this up before, but, uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was pretty young and, uh, I didn't see him from the time I was like, I didn't really see him at all from the time I was about like eight or nine mm -hmm. until I was like 20. Uh, and like maybe just in passing here and there, like random like family gatherings for my grandma on his side. Yeah. But uh that was all my mom causing that. And uh he he like asked me the other day, he's like, How did you not turn out like her? 
because my mom is like really um hot or cold with people yeah and i was like well i i can tell you exactly how i didn't turn out like her because there was one point when i was i think probably 10th or 11th grade middle of high school i i looked at her her behavior when it came to everybody society as a whole Mm -hmm. and i was like this is not normal yeah i am not going to be like this yeah like i i i like remember that um it's like that i i made a cognitive decision to take nature over nurture Okay, so like for those of you that don't know, nature versus nurture is like the cons. It's like the argument or concept of uh, what influences a child's development more. Is it um, nature, like just the biological drives, yeah, of of a person as of a human being to be like who they are as a human being, or is it um, nurture, which is uh, the environment you grow up in and the people that set the example for you of how to be a normal person. Yeah. Right. So, um, I remember there was a specific time in my life. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I made a conscious decision that, um, nurture this nurture what i'm seeing right now and what i've seen for my whole life is not normal and that's not the way to go yeah and that's that's i mean that's important by itself right there is the understanding of that and the changing because there's a link right so Mm -hmm. throughout generations you have certain mindsets you have certain financial situations whatever it is you possess the ability Okay, like for example, my family timeline has been poor as shit. Generations back. Poor, 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 poor. Me being conscious conscious of that gives me the ability. I don't know if I'm going to be financially successful. I would like to be. I push towards that every day. However, I do believe I have already possessed the mindset of shifting. So whatever generation or offspray I have will be a different mentality that will, if I don't become successful, if I don't become wealthy or whatever, and my kids do, I did it, dude. That's it. Yeah. I've done it. Exactly. I broke the link. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's, um, somebody did a study. I can't remember what the study was. Let me try to look it up. But, uh, they did a study of, um, criminal backgrounds, Mm-hmm. And they traced um, criminals from the 19th century, so the 1800s, up through generations and looked at how many of their family members became criminals. Yeah. And there's like this argument of whether or not it's a, a nature versus nurture thing. So, um, yeah. The, the people you hang around, the five people you hang around with becomes, you become the sixth. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's cause it's all, you know, it's the input you're getting. Like if, 
if your whole family <coughs> is uh, eating a certain diet or whatever, more than likely you're going to do the same thing. Exactly. It's because what, it's what you know. It's what you've been exposed to. Forsaken genealogy, bioethics, and Golden State Killer case, and I got to pee so bad. Okay. Well, anyway, like the idea behind this is uh, that I can't find the article. It's been several years. So I have like this research article pulled up from Forensic Science International, which is not the same. Um, but it, it's basically like they, they were able to tr track a semi-genetic link to the criminal mindset. Um but with the criminal mindset that I'm talking about, it's more of the uh, idea that, like, sociopaths, right? There's something different in their brain. There's, like, a, a strand of DNA or there, there's, uh, like, neural pathways that aren't connected or are connected that shouldn't be and neurotransmitters that are being produced overproduced underproduced there's like this this mentality behind it and they're like researching the genetic connection between um psychopaths and uh sociopaths throughout generations like petty theft mm -hmm. uh they they view more of as a a crime of circumstance this person is in a situation where they feel like in order to do this, they have to steal. Um, like car theft or whatever. Like, okay, I'm addicted to drugs. I need money. I'm going to steal this car and sell it to a chop shop. Uh, versus like this true sociopath kind of like Ted Bundy-esque uh, style serial killer murder shit. Um, they've actually over time seen a genetic link to that but uh not everyone follows through with the the killer mindset and they think that comes to, back down to nurture so they're like there is a genetic link to like notorious crimes uh but nurture can play a huge aspect of it and uh part of that is is there was this guy and sorry i know i'm rambling but i uh, Caden went off and now I'm in the middle of something and he's back and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was a neuroscientist <clears throat> who was doing scans of the brains of criminals um, for a study. And uh, like, like MRIs, basically. MRIs and CT scans to see which parts of the brain were activated during certain images and shit like that. And... Um, he he lined everything up and everything was assigned a number and he he scanned some of his students that agreed to participate in the study and himself as like controls and he knew what his number was and he didn't know what anyone else's number was until this the like the test had tests had been completed and analyzed okay. by a third party and <laughs> He, he found out he's a sociopath through his own study. And he was like, what? Because he never considered himself that. And he came to his family and he showed him his brain scan. He's like, 
this is a, this is a murderer. This is a serial killer. They've killed fifteen people. And this is my brain, and it's like the same exact like level of activation mm-hmm. in each picture, and uh, and they're like, well, yeah, we know. And he's like, how do you know I'm a sociopath? And they're like, just the way you are. You like you you don't have a lot of emotion. You're very direct. You're like. You know, you can blend into society and be part of it, but, like, you're not 100% there. Like, yeah, other people's conditions don't affect you, you know? And he's like, that... Uh, so he came up with this whole theory of pro-social sociopaths, mm-hmm. which are people that have this, like, criminal... They, they have a genetic link to this criminal mind. Yeah. But... Different coping mechanisms? No. Their environment of growing up is different. Interesting. So, so they're, uh, like, for instance, like, say Jeffrey Dahmer had a kid. Yeah. This guy was a cannibal. Yep. Like, without question, like, he was a horrible human being. Mm -hmm. Say if he had a kid and that kid was raised in in a home that valued something different than what Jeffrey Dahmer was raised in. Yeah. They might come out to be a neurosurgeon where you're doing a very important job. Yeah. But you can't have emotions involved. Right. You need to be 100% focused on the task at hand. That makes so sense. So a lot of so a lot of serial killers are like that. They they're focused on the task at hand. They are 100% like, this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and they they hone in on it, and they're and it, it's horrible to say this, but they're experts at their craft, right? Yeah. The other side of that is you have people that have the same genetic makeup and brain function as these serial killers, but they do something different with their lives. That makes sense. They go on and be a rocket scientist, and they're able to figure out like some fucking 15-page-long equation right. in a matter of minutes because their their environment they were brought up in didn't lead them to a, t- a life of crime. Right. That makes sense. I've, Dude, honestly, I've almost thought of myself like... I've wondered if I'm sociopathic. In I don't way. think you are. Well, let me paint the perspective. My birth parents, I didn't know them. They were both into drugs. Right. From what I know, my dad was into crime. Um, if a family member, if, if a close, I mean, it could be my grandma, grandpa. When my grandpa's passed away, even though I was close with them, I didn't really feel emotion. How old were you? Uh, 12, 13. Okay. Even now, like if... As bad as it sounds like my parents have done so much for me, the parents, I view them as my parents, but the ones that adopted me, if they died, it would suck. But at the same time, my logical mind says it does me no good to be emotional about it. I'm not a very emotional. Well, logic dictates that, but um, truly like, so here's the way I see it. And I like waffle on this point ad infinitum because Mm -hmm. it's no secret. I don't like my mom. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's a good person. Um, but I still love her because she's my mom. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's a real big point of contention for me and there's days where i'm like if she were to drop dead right now hallelujah yeah and then like today i was thinking about it i was like uh i mean it would make my life a lot easier but it'd still kind of suck yeah you know um so either way there's going to be a lot of regardless there's going to be a lot of stuff brought to light at her funeral for anyone that attends <laughs> um because i just feel like people need to understand like the people that were close to her right at the end will need to understand how she actually was yeah i've, I've run into friends and family members over the past few years that she cut off completely over like simple disagreements mm-hmm and uh, they're like, well, we still love her. And I'm like, you shouldn't. You just shouldn't. Yeah. You know? And uh, and that's a normal thing. It's like, well, this person's my family. I still care about them. My mom can literally flip a switch and you don't fucking exist anymore. Yeah. I was talking to my dad today and... um. He was like, uh, I, I remember the girl that he was talking about. He was dating somebody when I was really young, like right after the divorce. Not right after, but fairly soon after. And um, she threw a brick through the windshield of his car and cut up his seats. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't figure out if it was her or my mom that had done it. Really? Yes. Like, that is how my mom is. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. That's the environment I grew up in. And uh, for better or worse, she got pretty much sole custody of us. And, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, the environment plays a huge role. Um, I, dude, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm an, I guess I'm an emotional person with certain things, but other things I've remained so neutral where I'm, I'm just like, I sit there and I'm like, well, if this person died and I was never traumatized as a kid, that's the weirdest thing. I was never, I'd never had these crazy trauma stories. I never had all this crazy stuff. I never had any molestation or anything. That you know of. That I remember. <laughs> um, at the same time, I'm very empathetic to things that I, like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's weird. Right. Um, but I, I'm not an empathetic person in the sense where it's like, like you told me freaking uh, the hospital guy got cancer. Doesn't, I, I, I have... Don't. I have no mental thing that says like, oh, I feel bad for that. I don't care. Okay, so here's here's my along the hospital with the hospital guy. Uh huh. Um, we've said his name before. I'm not going to say it now, but uh, yes, he did get cancer. Hark Maris. Um, I I feel bad for him in the sense that he has cancer. Yeah, I don't know him on a personal level, so it doesn't really affect me that much. Yeah, but they brought up his company today on um, the radio show I listen to for 
traffic reports basically on my way to school. Okay. IHC. Okay, and I wrote I, I wrote You did write him a letter. Yeah. I, I wrote a letter about this. IHC is using some of their overhead, not overhead, but their uh funding. I, their well like some of their profit. Oh, their margin, okay. Yeah, their margin. They're they're supposed to be a not-for-profit organization, okay? Which means everything that they make in profit is supposed to go back into the organization for advancements in medical technology and science and patient care and stuff. Uh, They are funding and have ownership rights to the new football stadium being built in Las Vegas. See, now that's suspect. And I I pulled up their profit margin from last year, Mm -hmm. and it was like over $500 million. Mm -hmm. And then you have nurses getting burnt out on the floor that are trying to take care of seven to ten patients at a time. I, I... you read the letter. Yep. I'm saying this for the sake of people listening. Right. Um, where our our population as a country has, uh, on average, um, in the last 50 years, lifespan has increased. Expected life lifespan it has increased by 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more chronic illness. More diseases because of that. If somebody was like died when they were 50 back in the day, chances were they didn't live long enough to get diabetes. Right. They didn't live long enough to get cancer. They didn't like, you know. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's the deal is like as lifespan increases, the more our medical institutions come across this problem of chronic illness and terminal illness and really acute and by acute i mean like um severe illnesses that happen because the population is aging right okay and yet they maintain the same patient to nurse ratios on the floor um of a hospital regardless of where that hospital is located at in the country mm-hmm. so as as time marches forward you may have six people that are have various different illnesses with them. Probably half of those are going to have diabetes on top of whatever they're going through. Mm-hmm. And this nurse is going to be expected to take care of all of them. But the standard medical surgical patient nowadays, or even progressive care unit patient... Yeah. Um, would have been considered an ICU patient 40 years ago. Wow. So you're you're talking about this this acuity where people need IC, ICU level attention but they're being handed five patients all at once. And instead of using your profit margin to build a stadium in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Raiders when they move down there. Yeah. You should use it to hire fucking more staff. Right. It would cost you $60,000 per shift per unit to hire another nurse. 
throughout the entire hospital system. Your patient satisfaction is going to go up. Your employee satisfaction is going to go up. Right. Like, I, I just, I don't get it. Like, you, if you get patient and employee satisfaction up, people are going to want to stay there working for you. And people are going to want to come to your hospitals because you're taking fucking care of them. Yeah. You know? Like no, I, I totally get it. it but it's greed, man. But no, they they're slapping their name on the side of this fucking stadium in Las Vegas instead of hiring what? What is that? Like what's the where's the calculator at on this motherfucker? Fuck it. I'm gonna use my phone. Um they're 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 using that five hundred million and uh Oh fuck! Come on. Well, it comes down to for for a stadium instead of like one, it's public recognition. Two, it's tax breaks. Um, and sadly, for a nonprofit, they seem to act a lot like an LLC. Or so so for five hundred million dollars, this company could hire eighty three hundred more nurses. Per year at a salary that is decent of $60,000 a year. Yeah. So they don't even have, I'm not even sure how many floors they have um, countrywide. But if you take into account like how many hospitals they have and the standard size of a hospital is five floors. Right. They have more than enough money to hire one extra nurse. Yes. Per shift, per floor. Yep. And maybe even a few CNAs. Mm-hmm. And right. reduce the workload and make everyone, everyone fucking happier. Yep. But no, they are slapping their fucking name on the side of a goddamn stadium in Las Vegas. Sorry, this this is a thing that really like hits home for me because I worked for them. And... Uh, I got burnt out. I was going to work. Granted, I was a CNA. But again, like I said, standard patient nowadays is what would be considered an ICU patient 40 years ago. Right. Um, And I'd I'd go to work and I'd be like, okay, you have 10 patients that you have to take care of. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? It takes this one man, this one guy over here, 45 minutes to get dressed and into the bathroom in the morning. Yeah. And I worked on a rehab unit, so it was like we're supposed to like let them try to do as much as they could for themselves. And it's like, come on, you know? Yeah. Hire two extra CNAs for the shift. Reduce yeah. our workload by like 30%, please, for the love of God. Yeah. And that is, you can talk to close to... I would say 95% of the nurses in the country mm-hmm. and CNAs in the country, and they would all have that same mentality. Yeah. I can say that with absolute fucking confidence. Yep. So, well, sorry, I'm like getting on a soapbox <laughs> here. But. That's the beauty about free market capitalism, right? And even though it sounds crazy now, it, it puts you in a position where 20, 30 years down the line, you could start your own hospital because you understand True. the problems that... Are, are currently in this um, 
in this dilemma. And yeah, they could definitely hire more people. It's more expensive than just the salaries. I mean, they take into account, they look into insurance. How much is it going to cost insurance, training, all of this shit? Just to hire a low-level $40,000 employee apparently costs about $80,000 to hire. do the hiring process for the legal stuff. So they look at that. But more importantly, they look at, one... Yeah, can, but once they're spun up... Can they, can they increase their quarterly earnings? That's what is key in business. That's what they look at for some fucking dumbass reason. Is, did we make more this quarter than last quarter? Cool. What do we have to do to make more this quarter? Well, we need to get rid of this much money because we made a profit. If we spend money and put advertisement all over it, we can use it as a business expense. That's a tax write-off. We're going to spend... Yeah, and that's where that stadium comes in. We're going to spend $80 million to build a stadium. That goes back into the business, charitable contribution, whatever. They don't get to be taxed on it. Therefore, they can increase their uh, their quarterly earnings... And it, it, it appeases people in the business realm. That's where the education systems failed us. So, and, and I, I understand what you're getting at with um, like the tax write-offs and doing this and that. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm speaking specifically about this, this company. Yep. They're a not-for-profit company. Right. Doesn't mean a non-profit company. They charge the people that use their services. Right. But every ounce of profit they make... Is back, so, should go back into the system. It should go back into improving the system. Yes. And making advancements in medical technology. Like, so a football stadium is not going to accomplish that mm-hmm. unless they're taking the revenue from the football stadium and using that to fund research. And that's not just happening. That's, that's not, not going to happen. It's entertainment value for sick people. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, and, and And so, like... Okay, it costs $80,000 per $40,000 person to Mm -hmm. hire and train. Yep. Is what you said, roughly. Somewhere on there. I'm not talking about hiring 8,300 nurses immediately right now. Right. But bump it up, man. Year by year. Hire 1,000 more nurses each year. I've worked in these places, man. Like, I I know what they're, they're... staffing demand looks like they're already understaffed because people fucking quit and walk off the job yeah and and so like every floor out there already has two or three openings replace those yeah and bump up the hiring aspect by two nurses that's where it tells me there's per quarter that's where it tells me there's lack of leadership in that company um and when i say leadership you shouldn't be having dinners and vacations with your vice presidents as a CEO. Your sole responsibility as the CEO is to make sure that the company functions at its peak efficiency. Yes. If it means being a dick, you have to be a dick. It doesn't matter. If it's a nonprofit, you should make sure all your vice presidents are spending as much money as they can that you earn to put back into the system to make the experience better. Yeah. Um, and if you if you become too friendly in the workplace, you get this sense of like, Oh, I have to like appease this person. I'm not going to say no to this person. It's literally a fundamental thing of not being able to say no and not being a strong leader. And um, you just have to show up from day one and be hardline. Like day one, you got to be personable and approachable. Yeah. But from day one, you have to set those boundaries like this versus this. It this tells me, yes. Yeah, it tells me the mission isn't painted. In a way that people like truly understand what it is. Right. Right. Um, if the mission's not there, if you don't have a mission, imagine if Marines went out to 
Afghanistan and didn't have a mission. They're just like, well, just take care of the Al Qaeda. Just take care of it. Like, that's do you, it. Do you know what would happen in that situation? A lot of people would die. Ever, like, yeah. And lots of innocent people. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, same thing in business. I view it the same way in business is if you don't have a mission and you don't have an executable plan and you don't have the leadership to like hold people accountable, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And you're, you're going to have a severe attrition rate of your employees. People are going to get hired on. And like, I've literally seen this with my own eyes at Intermountain Healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, people have been hired on before they're even out of their, like, um, the period where they're supposed to be being supervised. Probation. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like a probationary period, but it's like more like learning the aspects of the floor and what the floor does and like an internship almost kind of, it's a paid internship. Okay. Uh, uh, what I've literally seen this before they're even out of that, they are looking for a new job. Yeah. Regardless of the contract they signed. Yep. They're like, I'll take the hit. I will take the fucking hit to get out of here. Right. I've literally seen it. Uh, there was, um, one nurse that I worked with and She's kind of the one that got me fired, but she didn't intend to. She was actually concerned about me as a person, so I appreciate that. But uh, um, uh, her her name is Bergen, and uh, I, I literally watched it happen with her in a matter of weeks. Like she got hired, and she was like excited. Just out of nursing school, I'm excited to have this position. I'm excited to be a nurse. By the time uh, the first month and a half went by, she was like, "This is like this is not what I'm looking for. I yep. didn't sign up for this. Um, there's too many patients, and I can't give each patient the care that they require. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I'm 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 out. I'm outie." And yeah. she started looking for another job. And by the time I was let go, she was on her way to another job. Yep. And it was like at her detriment, theoretically. Like she can't use them at a, as a reference anymore because she didn't stay there for the minimum required time for the company. Yeah. And it's like she she was willing to sacrifice that. Yeah, because it, the working conditions were so shit. And that's the thing. If everyone had the balls that she had, then that type of behavior wouldn't exist in the corporate culture. Because the corporate, like free market capitalism, they're also selling to the employees. Why do you want to work here? And who's the competition? That's where you have to look at it too. Is because if you create a monopoly, you have no other place to go. Um True. The fact that we're at a monopoly in healthcare now, which it pretty much is. I mean, the fact that Intermountain has all these partnerships and strategic partnerships. Yeah, and it's not just Intermountain. It's it, like Intermountain is uniquely like a Utah, Idaho, Arizona, and Nevada thing. But for the people that live here, yes. If right? you were to, if you were to act like each state was its own country, capital or monopolies should exist state by state too. It should be the, cracked down on. Yes. 100% agree because you go back east or um, you look at uh, and I've had nothing but good experiences with these guys but uh, 
It's the people that my mother-in-law worked for, the HCA. These were like private hospitals when they were first started, and the HCA came in and swooped them all up, which is the like healthcare, Amer- like healthcare of America or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big in the Midwest, but they came in and they bought up all of these privately owned hospitals and like brought them in under their umbrella. Yeah, and uh, like. I mean, if you go to a hospital in Missouri, likely chances are it's an HCA hospital. Okay. Period. With that being said, I'm going to go take a leak. Possibly even a dump. Yeah, just this idea, this whole idea of huge companies accumulating to controlling everything, it really sucks. It puts employees especially in a position of... um, of not enjoying their job and that trickles down into the customer experience. And that's the biggest thing I don't see being taught in college is it's like, it's, how do I be efficient? How do I make the most money? When in actuality, it's like what should be taught is how do my, how do I make my employees the happiest that they can be so that they're happy to come to work and uh, create a good experience for the customers. That's what's not being taught in college right now. It's just not. And uh, I've been pretty adamant about why I'm against college and why I'm resentful. Like, why I don't want to go to college is because the mentality taught there is not about to make your employees the happiest that they can be, at least in business school, right? It's all focused on driving profit. It's all about keeping your employees held accountable. It's all about human resources and protecting the company. Yet you forget who's fueling the grunt work of the company. If you don't pay attention to your bottom level employees, your customer service is going to be shit. Okay. You treat your employees like shit. They're going to treat your customers like shit because that's all they've ever known. It goes back to what we were talking about, like being raised by a parent. If parent, uh, parent company is treating child employee like a piece of shit, they're going to treat their offspray, AKA the customer like shit. And, um, it's just sad to see. And it's crazy that more people don't have this realization. People will spend, you know, between 20 and $200,000 to go to a school to figure out how do I make the most money for me? How do I make my well being better for myself and my family? When in actuality, um, as a leader, as a, business owner, as a CEO, any executive, right? Your sole responsibility is to work for your employees. Your sole responsibility is to be a open ear to listen to the issues that your employees have, your subordinates have. Because as a CEO, for example, if I was a CEO, I'm going to make damn well sure that my ears are open to all of my, I'm going to put vice presidents in that I know can are competent enough to do the job and are good at their craft, and I'm going to have an open ear as to what the problems of each of the subdivisions of the companies are. If you have that open ear, and you hope that they have it as well. So you have these vice presidents who have their ears open, and they listen to their directors, and the directors listen to their supervisors or managers, and they listen to their baseline employees, and even having a jumping chain of the command to be like, I think this is a problem. The fact that it's so compartmentalized 
creates a huge issue into solving the actual problems the company's having. So as a CEO, your only responsibility should be making sure your vice presidents are doing their job and listening to their concerns, but also jumping lower than them to get a really good idea of how the company's operating. Because even if your vice presidents tell you certain shit, you don't know that that's actually happening. They could be telling you one thing and completely different things happening. If a vice president has five directors under them, as the CEO, you can go to all five of the directors and get their perspective. Then you have an idea of your vice president's being a piece of shit. Okay? Um, it's a responsibility to work for every employee that you have. The CEO's sole responsibility is to work as hard as they can to make sure everyone else's job is easier. And that's what I'm seeing a lack of nowadays. I don't, it, it's just, it's rough, man. It's rough. And it sucks to see that our education system is so focused on money. It's so focused on money and how can we generate the most money? How can we make sure we get more quarterly earnings than last quarter? It's bullshit, man. It's absolute bullshit. And uh, something will change eventually. It's only a matter of time. So yeah, it's just a matter of time. I mean, that's the mentality that needs to change. The CEO works for their employees. That it's not the other way around. Um, and until I agree, until we adopt that mentality, it's it's not going to change. Well, and uh, one thing I brought up, I, uh, my wife goes to lunch with her father every week on Saturday, mm -hmm. and I I attend every once in a while. Um, whenever I guess I kind of feel like it or at the risk of sounding like a complete schmuck, want a free meal. Um, <laughs> uh, but nothing wrong with that. I think we all do. Yeah. I, I paid for it this last week. My wife and I were in a position that we could, so we did. Um, but I, I brought up, uh, Richard Bronson's. Um, ideal. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Richard Bronson is. I suggest you look him up. He's he's a really wealthy guy. He's in charge of like the whole Virgin company, Virgin Mobile, Virgin Air, Virgin Space, whatever. He's kind of like an old school Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. um, but he has this whole principle of Training your employees well enough to leave you, but treating them well enough that they don't want to. Yeah. And he's a very successful man. Yeah. Very successful. Yeah. Um, before Elon Musk was on on the show with uh, SpaceX and stuff like that, like it was Richard Bronson. He was... Um, working on a, a commuter flight that used electromagnetic launching capabilities to get um, these like Delta wing aircraft up to cruising altitude of a 737. Yep. And then using uh, the fuel from the, the plane itself to get it into a low orbit. And then... Um, coming back down and landing like a normal aircraft uh, and 
you know, like, because the idea behind that is, is you you use this electromagnetic energy and blah, blah, blah. And it, um, it, it would reduce basically any flight time in the world to like two hours. Okay. Oh, I have it. What the fuck am I saying? Um, but yeah, the, the, this was like the big deal when I was a, a teenager was this Richard Bronson guy. And if you look into his philosophy, it's exactly like, you know, train your employees well enough to leave, but treat them well enough to stay. Yep. And I think that is something that needs to be done in healthcare. And I know we don't have very many listeners. We don't have a lot of listeners. Um, we have a few subscribers. For those subscribers... Um, just really look up the incidents of and and anyone listening if this is your first time listening i i encourage you to look up uh how many medication errors or whatever have taken place in your local hospitals and um really take note of that and then write to the ceo of that hospital and and tell them you know like this is something that needs to be addressed it's it's partially a staffing issue yeah no ma- no amount of computer technology or like stop gaps you put in place will completely prevent in- sentinel events it's giving the staff the time to think through um what medication they're administering who it's for what it's for um like Wellbutrin is a huge risk for medication error, especially for somebody in the hospital because that person in the hospital, um, they, they have, uh, their, their, their nurse is taking care of seven other people, mm-hmm. but Wellbutrin has like so many types of, uh, administration route that um there's a huge risk because the nurse doesn't have time to stop like and i know it sounds ridiculous but they they really they they get into this this mode where they're just like go 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 and they they don't have time or they they feel like they don't have time to stop and examine what they're pulling out of the medication tray. And they're like, okay, well, I've got this. It's Wellbutrin, whatever. And they're grabbing the extended release tablet versus, like, the regular one. And then uh, six hours goes by, and they're giving another dose. And it's, like, slowly building up toxicity because, like, they're not, like, they just don't have the time to focus on it. So look it up for your local hospitals and uh, write to your local hospital um, CEO, whoever the big hospital CEO is in the area. Cause you know, you like for us, it's Intermountain and Intermountain in this Valley alone controls four hospitals. Well, there's less than, I think there's less than 10 major CEOs in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So like write to them and explain this to them and 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 try to pull up some research that would show them how the company could save money that never hurts yeah um 
and and mail it to them in a manila folder because they won't read it otherwise. It'll get to their secretary and tossed in the trash. Yep. Uh, like make it look very business like and professional, and just start pressuring these people to change their their staffing to patient ratios or their their staffing to customer ratios when it comes to like stuff where uh pulling it out of my ass but best buy you know like say there's like one geek squad guy for every 10,000 customers that's not going to fucking cut it yep you know so if you want to see change look for the issues present a solution present how it can save the company money in the long term yep and send it in a manila envelope like on cardstock or whatever, make it look super professional. It'll get to the guy that it's supposed to get to. And um, just like, just kind of keep pushing that. You know, yeah. if, if you don't hear or see anything in the news within a couple months, do it again with a slightly different worded yeah. letter and different statistics. Yep. Yeah. You know, like just. Just keep pushing it because that's like it, it change comes from who we elect, which is kind of don't get me started on that. Uh, but it, it also comes from pressure from the public. These people are providing a service to you and your families and um, being able to apply the correct pressure in the correct place will cause change for the better. Yep, and absolutely. It, it, and it's not it's not going to happen unless you try. Absolutely. 100% agree. What are they going to say? Like what 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 bad thing is going to happen to you if you write a letter to somebody? I think even more so if you want to take it a step further and what I was explaining when you were gone, the CEO's like a big ear. It's like you think of them as the ear of the company. They can make decisions and they're they're a listening ear. So if you really, really want to make it a difference is you find the person that's specialized in the area in the company that you want to change. So for example, like if I'm the alphabet king, the CEO, I'm the alphabet king, right? And I have vice presidents. I have five vice presidents. I have vice president A, B, C, D, E. If I want to learn about the letter C, I'm going to go to that vice president and hope that he has enough information. I, I'm the puzzle piecer. I'm the guy who puts the puzzle together as the CEO. So if you want to get a full picture, you need to research in the company who's responsible for actually providing what Certain you want. Changes, is, yeah. it, is it the vice president of uh, customer experience? Go after that person. How many people are connected to them? Do they have like a director of outreach, director of patients or whatever? Reach yeah. out to them. Because yeah. if you can convince them, then they have a better chance of convincing their higher ups to make the change because they know each other. Right, right. Um, and it's much easier to get to the directors than a CEO too. So yeah, for for sure. And and still, like I said, do the do the vanilla envelope, do the or like the manila envelope where it's like the heavy duty, it looks like it's almost made out of cardboard with the metal tabs on it. Yep. Um send it in that because then they'll read it. Mm -hmm. Um if it shows up in a regular letter envelope like you receive junk mail, it's going to be exactly like receiving junk mail. They're just going to throw it away without looking at it. Yeah. 
I guarantee you, and anyone out here in Utah who wants to try this, you want to get a, I don't know what his cancer situation is like now, but if ICU, for example, or not ICU, uh, IMC, if you want to get in, like if you want to make a difference, you'd be surprised how easy it is to stand out. If I sent the CEO, if he's in like functioning condition where he can go out and do shit, if you sent him a golf ball and you put a little tiny letter in a package and said, I have a way to make your business better. Let's go golfing. No one does that. No one. No, it, it makes absolutely you, not. It makes you stand out so much to the point where he'd at least give you the ear. Yeah, um, he'd at least call you. He, yeah. Maybe not him, but like one of like Caden was saying, one of the VPs would call you. Somebody would call you that's got enough pull to make some change. Getting a meeting with the CEO is so much easier than people realize. It's just being able to stand out. It's literally being able to stand out from everyone else. And if you can find like clever little ways to do it, they'll always hear you out. I got a meeting with Vasa Fitness, the CEO, just by, um, what did I do? I, kept, I, I sent him a bunch of stuff um, and then I reached out on LinkedIn. I basically made sure he knew who I was, sent him a bunch of shit, and he gave me his personal cell number. He's like, I want you to call me on this day. It's yeah. easier than people think. It's just taking initiative um, into thinking. And I remember sending him like, hey, I think you're doing a great job. However, I think I know a way of making this part of your business better. And he gave me the ear. Just yeah, because yeah. I, don't, don't immediately talk down to them when you write them right point just point out a problem and offer a solution you know like like uh don't be like oh your company's shit like i was in 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 here for whatever amount of time and it took took somebody to it it took so many x amount of hours or whatever to notice that there was a fucking issue blah 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 um, reach out and be like, you know, you guys offer a, a, a good service. This is one issue I've noticed, and this is how it can be better. Um, yeah. And, like, I had to write this persuasion letter for a uh, uh, an assignment, but um, I fully intend on like refining it a little bit more and sending it up yeah to at least the uh like vp of patient relations or somebody you know like uh i i don't even know if and another effective way to accomplish it would be uh find out how many VPs they have and what they're in charge of and relate that topic to each thing that they're in charge of yeah. and point out things that they can do to change this one thing in each department. Yeah. And then they'll be able to take it up to the, the head guy. Even another way getting if this guy has five people saying we need to change this versus mm-hmm. one guy saying we need to change this. Yeah. Yeah. Introductions. If you want to get really good, like here's some trade secrets of when I was doing corporate sales. If you really want to get someone's ear, 
do research like Dallas said into the vice presidents. And if you want to get that vice president's attention, do research into that person, do a Google search, look on their LinkedIn. If you can pull up their college thesis and read over their college thesis and then bring that up to them being like, Hey, I read over your college thesis. No one does that. No, no. And if anyone likes anything, it's to talk about themselves. So if you can, if you can pull up some shit and be like, Hey, I was reading this over. Um, I think it's amazing what you said here. I agree with this, blah, 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 blah. Instantly, it gives you rapport with that person to be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I like this person. He says good things about me. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and it, honestly, if you're good at interviewing for jobs, um, it's a strategy you've already used. You look up something that has to do with the company and see something that they're doing that seems like groundbreaking or whatever in the field and you bring it up during your interview like well i noticed you guys do this can you tell me any more about that and they're like oh yeah oh this guy's super interested in us or this gal's super super interested in us and just initiative yeah and and uh like really all it takes is like 20 minutes of looking into whatever and It creates that much more of an edge. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, I definitely think so. It's uh, The initiative is a huge, huge, huge thing that not a lot of people take because, again, they chase the money. They're like, I need a job. I need the money. Um, and the second you stop chasing the money and you take a little initiative, it'd be like, what's the mission? Am I behind this mission? Am I willing to fight for this mission? Right, right. That's when it becomes really, really impactful and, and putting that, that kind of like vibrate, I don't want to say vibration, but that, that feeling that an employer is looking for to be like, Hey, this person wants to help the mission. I want that person. So, right, right. Um, and just, just a little bit of initiative goes a super long way with that. Yeah. If you want to affect change in your own company where you work, if you see, like, if you're a guy in the trenches, like, I don't care if you're in a cubicle, if you're a nurse on a floor, if you're a fucking laborer at a construction site, if if you see something that can be performed better, cost less man hours, and make everyone's life easier. Yeah. Do a little bit of research into the company as to why they do it. Yeah. And offer up your solution. And sometimes it takes being a little bit of a renegade because like in the military, this wouldn't fly, but civilian life, this will totally fly. There are certain situations where you need to stand up to your boss and tell them they are wrong. And it takes balls to do it. And it's scary because you're worried about um, your well-being or your job or whatever. But if you truly believe in the mission and you truly believe you have a better way, and there, it, you don't come out the gate and just say you're wrong right out the gate. Yeah. But if you challenge them, they will open their ears at least. And I think it's, it's, sometimes it does take that. Sometimes you deal with bosses that you have to be a little more direct and you have to say, uh, you have to say, you know, whatever you're after and you have to just be passionate about it and it can end bad. It, I, I've, I've opened my mouth and it's ended bad, but it just shows I have bad bosses and I don't want to work for that company anyways. Um, I've opened my mouth in an, another way and it ended bad and it should have ended bad. <laughs> so, um, yeah. 
Never threaten to burn down the place, even if it's just a joke. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Um, Don't be Melton. But, I mean, if you have a viable idea and you bring that up to your boss and you get fired over it, is that a place you want to be working for in the first place? That's what you have to ask yourself. Um, I think it's dying. Is it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and the other, the other aspect of that is, um, I, we don't have one in here, I think. Um, the other aspect of that is, uh, don't just point out the problem, have a, a solution. Like, you know, the company's been operating this way for a fucking millennia or whatever. Uh, so... You bringing it to light immediately right now is not going to change anything. Um, you got you going in there and being like, this is a problem. They, they might even look at you and be like, I agree, it is a problem. Um, but if you don't take the time to sit down and consider a, a solution and offer up that solution, then... Uh, you're you're just kind of shooting yourself in your own foot because it's it, it creates a situation where like okay well there's this problem and this person's unhappy but how are we gonna fix it and then nothing gets fixed it's like never n- never point out a problem without a solution to the problem yeah you know like when it when it comes to your work environment right i i mean it, it sounds so stupid and simple but you'd be surprised how how many people out there don't think that far ahead they're like this is a problem i'm going to bitch about this to the boss and there's plenty of people out there that do that like they're like well i'm going to bring this to the attention of the boss and like you know and then they'll figure it out and it's like don't count on that. Don't count on that. Yeah. Uh, bring bring your own solution. Do, do do a little bit of work. I mean, a little bit of work in your off time away from the company may change your life drastically. Yeah, you never know. Um, and so, like for me, with the the nursing shortage and the way things run and operate. With, uh, I'm getting the hiccups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with um, just like working in in the uh, medical care setting in general, mm-hmm. and I hope to God right now, uh, my future employer doesn't hear this, but this is the God's honest truth. If my manager reaches out to me and says, hey, can you work this day? And I'm not scheduled? No. Yeah. I will volunteer to work the days I want to work that I'm not scheduled. Right. If a fellow coworker works out to me and asks me to cover their shift because something's going on, different story. Yeah. But if it's just because you lacked the ability to basically hire enough staff yeah. You have to eat that. Yeah. You that's, have to eat it. That's their whole job. It's not even to do the job. It's to manage people doing their jobs. And if they can't do that, fuck them. Yeah. And like, 
I, I don't know. Because being in the military, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. If your E7 called you and was like, I need you back at the clinic or I need you... I, I, I need you to tow the line right now. You had to suit up and go tow the fucking line. Right. Period. And I kind of brought that mentality with me into the civilian marketplace. And it was a huge detriment to my my personal well-being and my my personal relationships, especially that with my wife. I'd get called and they're like, hey, are you willing to work like... The first four hours of, or or five hours or whatever of a a graveyard shift, even though you have to be back the next day, yeah, at six thirty in the morning or whatever. And I'd be like, "Yeah, sure, fine," you know, and I, I'd fucking do it. And then I'd go to work the next day. I'd be hammered, tired, and stuff. And it's because I felt like an obligation, like. Don't don't feel like you have this obligation to your corporation that you, like oh I've got to do this because like I need to show that I'm a good employee. No, fuck them, dude. Yeah. If you died tomorrow, they'd have you replaced in a week. Right. So, um, take care of yourself. And yeah, dude. It comes down back back to self value. It's whatever you value yourself at. That's what other people are going to treat you with. Yes. It, yes it's like yes, the same yes. thing. Like, if I go into an employer and I do an interview and they're like, how much do you want to get paid? I'm not going to lowball it. Like, if you lowball it, they're going to give it to you. If you highball it, they're going to say no. Whoops. Okay. What are you going to pay me? I'm worth this much. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's what you're fucking worth. Yeah. You, you, you need to see yourself as your own asset. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And That's a good way to put it. And you, like... I don't know because I, I I think it was I I don't think it's unique to me, but I definitely think it was that military mentality carrying over into the civilian world where I basically put myself in a position where it's like, oh, call Dallas, he'll he'll fucking pick up the he'll pick up the shift because he always does, yeah, you know, and I I realized that's what was happening. Yeah. And once I finally realized that's what was happening, and I was like, dude, I'm not obligated by the Uniform Code of Military Justice to show up whenever called upon. Right. I can tell them no. That's when my relationship started to go south with with um, my manager. But if you set that precedent from the beginning, yeah. then that's the norm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, dude, I totally have that mentality is never go above and beyond. Do only exactly what you're told. Never volunteer for anything. Well, you know what Navy stands for again, right? Never again volunteer yourself. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. And there was a time where I'd look at that and be like, well, that's bullshit. You should volunteer. No, dude. Because then you set a high precedence for yourself that people right. expect you to live up to constantly. Sorry about the crinkling. My wife just brought me a candy cane that's root beer flavored, and I'm really excited to try it. So, Oh, dude, I'm fitting to buy a pizza. That sounds so good. Dude, I ate pizza for lunch today. Really? It was Where'd like you the guys... last day of lecture, so like we all went in and bought a bunch of fucking pizza. From where? Little Caesars. Nothing special. Uh, dude, honestly, I don't mind Little Caesars. For me, 
anything that's not like strict diet, that's not chicken, rice, steak, eggs, whatever is amazing. So like little Caesars to me is, I really like it. I don't give a fuck what they say. It's a good candy cane. Is it? Yeah, it's root beer flavored. Nice. It's not bad. I don't think I'll be able to eat this whole fucking thing. She bought me, um, quote unquote, a premium candy cane or premium. whatever. It's 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 a big fucking candy. Is cane. that like the premium Snapchats? I don't think so. Um, to give you guys a little uh, background to this, like this candy cane is essentially fucking with me to an extent. But I'm going to eat it anyway. Uh, there's a place on my fire... There's a section of my fireplace mantle that has this weird mark in it. It's it, it's made... My, my fireplace and the mantle and the area in front of it is made out of stone. Okay? And if you look at this one section, there is... It's the perfect shape of a fucking candy cane. Really? This size. Oh, wow. And it's not a normal candy cane. And I was like, what the fuck could have caused that? Candy canes aren't that fucking big. You know, did, like, did a candy cane melt onto the stone mm-hmm. before I bought the house? And like, I've been trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. And I was like, still, even if a candy cane melted from the heat, it wouldn't be big enough to cause that mark. Yeah. And then I saw in Smith's, our gro- our local grocery store the other day, I was like, oh, there's premium candy canes. Mm-hmm. That size. They're like, they're big. They're like the thickness of a finger. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly what that looks like. So she bought me this like really big ass thick candy cane just to fuck with me because I'm like, I swear to God, there was a candy cane that melted on the fireplace. Dude, what a weird candy thing, though. <laughs> like, in all honesty, who thought... Sorry, it's a super hard shift of gears. I don't but... give a... Sh- who thought, let's make a piece of candy that's a straight thing and then just has a little loop on it. it has a U-turn, a flip a bitch at the end. Right. What the fuck is that? Why did we do that? I get it's the shepherd cane and all that shit, but... It's still weird as shit that that's a cultural thing. Everyone knows what a candy cane is, even though it's a piece of candy that could very easily just be straight the whole way, but they had to fucking bend it at the end. No one knows why. True. And now it's a cultural phenomenon. Yep. And I have one that's probably going to last me longer than it should, and it'll probably go bad before I finish it because it'll turn gross. because i'm like trying to eat it and it's getting sticky and then you know everything that comes along with that so there's so many dumb candies like jawbreakers are fucking dumb or the never-ending jawbreaker well the ones that make like this big yeah that's what i'm talking about this is a trick that i learned when i was a kid and my cousin taught me you put it into two bags you put it in a bag and put it in another gallon bag and you smash it with a hammer so you have a bunch of little pieces best way to do it yeah. Otherwise, you just sit there licking it. Fucking. I've seen people that have licked them down through the layers, and it actually creates like a tree ring sort of. Yes, it does. Formation. Yes, it yes. does. I've done that, and my cousin taught me the trick. But and then your tongue, it's like the Captain Crunch effect on the top of your mouth, where it fucks up your mouth, <laughs> starts stabbing you. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's bullshit. Cat, it, you know what's sad about Captain Crunch is it's really, really good. It's super good. It's delicious. Yeah. But it fucks up your mouth. It's like I'm just gonna eat a bunch of razor blades. <laughs> yeah. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I haven't had cereal in a very long time, but Captain Crunch is like my all-time favorite. Oh, easily. I, I, there's something about a cinnamon toast crunch I like too. I could do Frosted Flakes. I can do, but Captain Crunch. There's right. so many varieties, like the peanut butter. They have the peanut butter kind. They have the berries kind. They have the, they have the original. I don't know if you grew up with, uh, um, our. Is Smith's in, or Kroger in Idaho? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So you had Colossal Crunch growing up. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. And then Colossal Crunch Berries. Yep. Yeah, the off-brand. Of we always bought Cat- the monster ones. Like Choco, the, choc, uh, Count oh, Chocula. Like, like Count Chocula yep. and Frankenberry. Yep. <laughs> got all those. And then there was the Sugar Snaps that got renamed to Honey Snaps. And then you had Corn Puffs, Corn Pops. Corn pops and yep. corn puffs—they're the same thing. My favorite—I liked the cinnamon. They had a French toast crunch. They had that for a while. They had a blueberry muffin cereal, and it was—it uh, was all freaking just sugar. That's what they didn't tell me. It was all just sugar. Yeah, it was just disguised as different I, things. I'm not sure how we got here. I know it's a definitely hard shifted gears from the serious shit we were talking about earlier but it's always nice to go down memory lane from time to time um let me think of a a cereal that i don't eat anymore that i tricks tricks oh my god dude and you know what's crazy you know they're not fruit shaped like they're not is is that because Tricks are for kids. That's exactly what I was thinking. I think they did that as a strategic marketing thing <laughs> because now we just see them as circles. <laughs> Back in the day, you had little shapes of bananas. You had little... Uh, Grapes. Apples. like Watermelons. They were shaped as fruit and they were still sugar. They're still simple sugar and they were bad as shit for you. Yeah, but for sure. now they're just circles. That's, that's where my struggle with obesity began. Yeah. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cu- uh, puffs... Those I love I rem- those. I remember when those came out. Really? Yeah. Good like, shit. Like they weren't a thing when I was a kid. I remember when those like when they were like, "Oh, Reese's peanut butter puffs are like Reese's made a cereal." Yeah. Like I, you probably grow up grew up with that just existing. No, that was around two thousand two three. I think two thousand two or three. Okay. I think I could be wrong. I do remember when they came out because I would buy them all the time. And this is where I think I'm a sociopath. One of my friends, her sister was going into a coma and we went over to her house and she was hooked up to all this shit and everyone was crying. And my number one concern was, where's my box of peanut butter puffs? I need to take that with me because they were taking her to the hospital and I brought over a box of cereal and that was my number one concern. Okay, that was my number one concern. I needed to get my box of peanut butter puffs out so before I'm, they... I'm, I'm going to say this. Yeah. Okay? You don't remember them being created. Nope, There's I don't. no way you were alive. Nope. I remember when this hit the market. Okay. So, anyway. They were good. Yeah. I really liked them. I valued them more than my dying friend's sister. So, 
Your friend's dying sister. My friend's dying sister. Uh, did she pass away? No, nope, she was alive. And I got my Reese's peanut butter puffs. Is she still alive today? Mm-hmm. What was the issue that brought her to the hospital? Some sort of allergic reaction, I think. Again, that's the biggest thing. I don't remember that fully because I was so focused on the Reese's peanut butter puffs. No, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I was literally panicking that I could not find them because we're like, we got to leave. And I'm like, I need my cereal. <laughs> I was going downstairs. I was looking all over the place. I didn't give a fuck, dude. That's what's suspect for me. How old were you? 21. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably uh, 8, 9, 10. Uh, that's kind of standard behavior for an, for that age. Like, they don't understand what's... Yeah. yeah. Like, but you, I remember you don't it. understand the seriousness of what's going on. As an adult, if that same situation were to arise... I think I would view it the same way, sadly. Really? Say it was Liz. Okay. Well, I don't don't put me in this situation because I would do. The, let's say it's my mom. No, I'm 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 gonna put you in the same situation. Um, okay, but I'll so say- so you live with me. Yep. Uh, you know Liz well. Yep. Liz gets along with you. You get along with her. Yes. I'm clearly like madly in love with this woman. Yes. Um, say we stop recording, we go out there, she's having an allergic reaction to, to something. Yep. And I have to get her to the hospital. Okay. And you want to bring the drink you're making with you, right? Oh, no, 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 that wouldn't be a thing. Okay. However... Would and you, this, would this, you cal- care about her well-being? For sure. But at the same time, and this would be the same with my mom, my dad, anyone. If my phone's not in my pocket or my car keys aren't in my pocket, got to find them first. And that might be fucking... So, so if if I had to rush out the door um, in this hypothetical situation and I threw you my keys and was like... I'm medically trained. I'm going to sit in the back and take care of her while we get to the fucking hospital. Yep. You drive. You would still be concerned about finding your phone. Okay. So if I'm in that situation, like, we're in it. Boom. Cool. I'm going. My first thought is not... Okay. So I'm driving there. We go... I disassociate from almost every situation. It could be the same. And that's why I didn't want you to put your wife into this. No, I... I, It it can be my dad. It could be my mom. It could be my grandma, right? Your sister. Could be my sister. I'm going to the hospital. And if I'm driving there, I'm still driving there. If I check my pocket, I'm like, well, um, I don't have my phone. Or like a dead ass dude, and I'm not saying I don't want to be. I want to be this way or whatever. Something that crosses my mind. Would you turn around to get your phone? No, but it bothered me. Sociopath would. It bothered me. Okay, so it would bother you, but a sociopath would turn around. And yeah, and, and I don't know. I haven't been in that situation. 
But at the same time, I know, like... So, I mean, like, I don't know the inner workings of your brain. Mm-hmm. But I can say from what I know about you mm-hmm. as a person and having known you for a few years that you are not going like you I I feel I, I truly feel this way. Mm-hmm. You would be focused on making sure we got to the hospital and she was okay. And not think about that. Yeah, that's probably it, true. It, it, like, what once things started to calm down, you'd realize it. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, fuck. Yeah. But at that point, you'd be able to leave and there'd be no issue. That's true. Let me ask like, you this. That, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking about okay. you. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever just been driving down the road and there's like a person on the sidewalk and you've been like... Just like the the thought. You drive through the puddle. No, 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 no. Like, no, 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 no. See, this is where I think it's going to take a turn. <laughs> Have you ever just thought like you're driving down the street and you get those impulsive thoughts of like, what would just happen if I hit that person right now? Like, if I just swerved off the road and just fucking just hit him and just kept going. I did as a kid, not as a kid, but when I was younger. And then you you have these inner thoughts like work it through your head like I'd move to Mexico I do this thing I just start doing this thing um, yeah I hit somebody I move to Mexico I start a new life <laughs> I forget about it take me two weeks that's that show I was watching yesterday but it's if it was the an accident next door if it'd be an accident it's fine like I'd be I I would feel bad about it if it's an accident but if I was like sitting there like. Huh, I wonder what would happen if I just did this. Pop! Like, those those type of impulsive thoughts. Like, hmm, wonder if I just drove into oncoming traffic today. I think everyone has those thoughts from time to time. And, uh... <coughs> I mean, <laughs> is it disturbing? Yes. But is it uncommon? I don't believe so. Uh... I don't know, like, you know, I I think randomly about certain events, you know, like, who was the Unabomber? <coughs> um, uh, like, because I, I was talking... Uh, to some classmates today... Theodore Kaczynski. Um, I was talking to some classmates today because there's this stupid service we have to use called uh, Castle Branch. And it's basically just like a documentation uploading service for colleges throughout the United States. I, I really don't understand it. Okay. Why, why it's a thing because you can upload any PDF to the college period. <laughs> For your classes, I do it all the time. Um, I had to create a graph yesterday um, for one of my assignments. I created it. I took a picture of it, um, uploaded it as a PDF, you know. Yep. But, like, there's this castle branch thing that you have to you have to use for certain colleges inside of universities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck, you know? 
And I was like, I'm going to find these people. I'm going to ask them. Like, I, well, first of all, I said, I'm going to find these people. And the people in my class are like, oh, fuck, dude, Ted, Ted Kaczynski. You know, yeah. like, you're going to go full on Ted Kaczynski with these guys. And I was like, yeah. no, dude, I'm not going to do anything <laughs> drastic. Like, they, they, they thought I was going to immediately go, like, Columbine on this physical address. And it's like, no. To me, though, it's worth a plane ticket and taxi fare to find out what the fuck, you know? Like, I just want to show up there and talk to somebody and be like, why the fuck do you have this service? You have made my life completely fucking miserable for the last three years. Yeah. Where I could just email a PDF to my professor and have them approve it or not approve it. Yeah. Versus going through you. But you exist, and I have to use you through the rules of the university. Yeah. So please, 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 please explain this to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I put off this aura around me of, like, I'm just going to fucking go full on, like, murderous rampage. Uh, Oklahoma City bombing guy. Yeah, you know, but I I I was trying to get across that I didn't even want to do that. I just want to fucking ask somebody like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And I've had impulses where I want to just take a baseball bat and bury someone in a yard somewhere. I've had that. And now, I thought it through. Now, is it a random person? Uh, sometimes. So, so I think that's just... I, I don't think that's um, sociopathic. I think that's a, a statement on whether... Uh, not whether, but like where our society is as a whole. Yeah, that's probably true. Like, for example, I don't know if you've run through the situation. If you've done like concealed carry and like drawn someone and want to shoot somebody, you had to shoot somebody, right? How would you react? And I've run through this in my head. I would be more concerned about how the public perceived me rather than the person I killed. Like at that point, I've disassociated so much where I've been like, so, so I, This is what I'm going to say about that. Uh Um, First of all, I've never shot anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never taken a life. But I have been trained extensively to do so. Mm -hmm. And um, when it comes to the concealed carry aspect of our society and how prevalent the media makes mass shootings seem Mm -hmm. i'm not going to say that they're not a problem they are but uh the the media focuses on that and they don't focus on anything else so it seems like it's a i'm not going to go into alex jones territory right now but um if you're a concealed carry holder, mm-hmm. or if you're a person that's carrying a firearm for your personal safety, yeah. if you don't think about that and ask yourself that question every time you put your gun on your person, yeah. 
you are a danger to the rest of society. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, would, would I be concerned about how the public perceive me? Kind of. But when it comes down to a me versus them scenario, and I know this is like the whatever guy, like uh, the guy that shot Trayvon Martin and and whatnot, like I, I don't think he was in the right. Like if a 17-year-old confronted me, regardless of whether they're 6, 7 or yeah. not, you know, I, I, I wouldn't feel threatened. I'd yeah. be like, they're a fucking kid. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm just going to continue to go about my business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, like, so so I, I, I disagree with the George Zimmerman thing. Mm-hmm. But if it were you and me, like, if you were coming at me, you're old enough and you're physically strong enough that I view you as a, an actual threat. Yeah. Even though I'm older than you, I yeah. still view you, view you as an actual threat. And if it comes down to you or me, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make sure it's me, for sure. And I, and, I agree with that, hundred percent. And when it comes down to that situation, it's better to be, in my mind, like. And this is something that's been thrown out colloquially, colloquially for a while, but it's better in my mind. Uh, in that situation, to be judged by twelve than carried by six. Yeah, and and people say that all the time, but I don't think they really come to terms with that. What that actually means, and I've come to terms with it. Yeah, like I thought I was going to have to stab a guy in Afghanistan to save my own life. Yeah, and that's where I came to terms with that. I was like. If this dude starts trying to take off with me in his car, mm-hmm. I am going to do whatever it takes for me not to leave this base. And if we get off this base, yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I get back to this base. For sure. Even if it's not about survival, though, like, let me put it in this perspective. If you could, like, let's say some fucking guy that you just dislike, if you could murder that person and get away with it and no one would ever know without a shadow of a doubt no one would ever know would you do it probably not yeah that's the thing with me is i can't would you i can't definitively say no i can't say no i wouldn't i think everyone's thought about it yeah without question everyone's thought about it but it's your actions right it's like if like some some piece of shit rolls up, and it's like you're waiting for somebody to back up. You go to Walmart or whatever. Someone's backing out of a car space. You're waiting to get in that space, and somebody comes in and just fucking steals that spot. If you could just be like, well, they're probably not serving society. Just bury him in poultry. Take him into there. Put him in the back. Put him in the compactor or something. Something like that. That's the thing. I don't, dude, I don't have sympathy on that level. I'm not at this point where I'm like, oh, they have a family or whatever. I don't fucking even think about that. So, I would say for most people, they're they're like that. It, it's whether or not you follow through. That's true. I don't. 
I just keep my journals. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. Keep. Your manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. It's whether or not you follow through that is the defining thing. Yeah. I, I, I believe. Yeah. Like, you, uh, I mean, what was the guy's name? Uh, the OKC guy. Let me look. Yeah, at I don't know. I, Timothy McVeigh. Okay. There, I go to look him up and I fucking remember his name. Uh, Timothy McVeigh. He followed through with it. Mm -hmm. I think plenty of people, plenty of people out there have days or even slight moments where they think like, if I did this, what would I do to ensure I could get away with this? Yeah. And suffer no consequence. Right. If there was no recourse for... Like, that's my biggest fear is uh, go to jail. That makes you normal. That's my biggest fear. Otherwise, I'd be killing people left and right, I think. Would you, though? I, I think so. Because really? the, only, the only dreams that I have, like the recourse, like, I'm the type of dude, if I killed someone and sat down afterwards, I'd be like, I'm going to get caught. But if there was no recourse for getting caught, I'd like sit down, make a little sandwich, like, if there's no question in my mind, I'm so, not going to so go to that, jail. That, I, I feel like that's what differentiates you between the the Ted Bundys and the Zodiac Killers and Son of Sam's of the world. Yeah, I'm not impulsive and black out and just go freaking chop somebody no, up. No, th these guys didn't black out. Yeah. They did this. They did it knowingly. Yeah. And then they went back home and made a fucking sandwich. Yeah. You know? Well, it may, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things. The, that, the fact that you recognize there is recourse, it, yeah. it, it, it changes the game. Right. Like, um, it was like that whole pro-social sociopath thing I brought up earlier. Um, you want people like that to be doing your brain surgery. Because yeah. they're going to be meticulous. Yeah. And they're going to be like... Accurate and 100% spot on with what they need to do. Yeah. But if you were to flip the situation, they'd be the same way with <laughs> killing somebody. Right. And like, because in their own mind, they're, they're there to get in and remove the tumor and get out without being noticed, basically. Right. Like, I don't... I don't want <coughs> evidence of myself having done this left behind. Yeah. It's the same thing. So, it, I mean, like, the fact that you even think of the repercussions is different than, I think, a sociopath. Because a sociopath, they they know the repercussions are there. Mm -hmm. But they they're, they're thinking about getting around them yeah and and um avoiding them and uh but I, I i don't know but i feel like kind of earlier when i brought liz into the equation by your own admission you were you're like well of course i'd be concerned about her mm -hmm. so sociopaths don't concern themselves with that 
like if someone's dying, someone's dying and they don't really like Yeah. It it does nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. Yeah. Well like emotional response I wouldn't have a lot of emotional response, but however, because I've been associated with you guys, like I would. Would you feel a sense of loss? If I were to die right now, would you feel a sense of loss? I would feel a sense of, and I don't like, don't take this personally. This is the same with all of my family. Everyone, I would sense a, a sense of change. And I would try to rationalize that. I would call that a sense of loss. Yeah, it would. It would be a Literally, sense of loss if you were a sociopath <clears throat> and I were to drop dead in front of you. Yeah, there would I be would, no change. Okay, I would feel period. emotion for sure, but I wouldn't have visual emotion. I would be like, so that's just stoicism. Okay, that's just being stoic. Okay. Um. Uh. Like you can experience the change and feel the change or the loss. But showing it, yeah. Versus not showing it. That's that's stoicism. Um, and the only reason I thought this is when I went home and I thought my dad got hit by the car. Yeah. My first thought wasn't "Is my father okay?" It's "I want to fuck this guy up." That that's normal. That okay. is a normal thing. Okay. Okay. Because okay. um, that rage. And anger. Um, anger is a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. It's always preceded by something else. Okay. Fear, embarrassment, um, uncertainty, whatever. Yeah. So you experience this this rage mm-hmm. because you see this thing happen, and you're like. Your mind quickly goes through is, my dad okay? If he's not, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. See, that didn't even go through my head. It wasn't even... But the thing is, is it did. It just happened really fucking quick. Yeah. Anger can always be traced back to some other emotion. Okay? Yeah. I can pull Liz in here and ask her about it, and she'll tell us. Mm-hmm. But it, it's always traced back to, like, X happened, I felt Y, result, anger. Yeah, okay. Um, anger is a defense mechanism. And, and um, biologically, you might be geared more towards that fight instead of flight response. Something scary happened. You were afraid for your dad's life. Mm-hmm. You recognized the seriousness of the issue. I'm going to fight this guy. So what would be non-sympathetic to people you don't know? Because like, if I don't know somebody, I am I can't find sympathy for people I don't know. Except the fact that I view everyone as a version of myself. So... That's kind of my driving thing. If I view someone, if I view everyone as a version of myself, then I can be like I'm instilling something onto somebody else. But if somebody cuts me off in traffic, like I don't give up, like I have no personal association to that person. 
And it, to me, it's just like a bad sell. It's just a bad version. Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. It's really weird. So what you're bringing up, uh, John Dunn touches upon. Uh, let's see. So John Dunn, he was like a, a philosopher slash poet mm-hmm. from forever ago. He's the guy that wrote No Man is an Island. Everyone okay. needs support, basically. Uh-huh. That was like his philosophy. Yeah. Any, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know who to know for whom the bell tolls. Mm-hmm. It tolls for thee. So um, what he's getting at there is you're talking about like you put your you view other people as an extension of yourself kind of. I just and view, that's the only yeah. way you can feel something for them. Yeah. What he's getting at there is it it's that way for everybody. Anyone who's harmed or suffering or dying Mm -hmm. affects me because I am an extension of them and they are an extension of me. Yeah. So never send for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. The bell would be the bell of death, Mm -hmm. right? Like whether it's the guy that lives five houses down from here or it's me. Yeah. It affects me because that is a loss of myself because I'm part of society. Yeah. And and that's kind of what you said. Um yeah. Is like the only way I feel anything for these people is if I like kind of imprint myself upon them. Mm-hmm. And I mean like what I, I don't know. I, I know you're concerned about being a sociopath. I'm not really concerned about it. I'm just But curious. everything you're bringing up to me just sounds like a normal human being. Well, that's good to know. Because, like, <laughs> like, if, a.k.a., like, random John, like, John Doe down the street was a piece of shit. I saw him, like, yank his dog a couple times on a leash. And he got brutally chopped up by a machete. I'd be like... He probably deserved it. Okay, and and again, I feel like that is a normal. Okay, that's thing. A, that's all I wanted to make sure of. Like, yeah. So, so it's it, like being a sociopath doesn't mean you're a you're not a bleeding heart for everyone. I think everyone here can look back on the SS Nazis that committed the Holocaust and are like, those were bad guys. Hmm. If they got hung, they deserve to be hanged. You know, mm-hmm. like if they, like what if they got killed by firing squad, they definitely fucking deserved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your ability to to show compassion and empathize with a fellow human being when you know nothing about them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that. That defines whether or not you're you're a sociopath in my mind. Yeah. Um, it's a, a true sociopath 
regardless of whether or not they know the person, mm-hmm. l- literally feels nothing. They're yeah. able to reflect emotion and they know how they're supposed to act, but they truly feel nothing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's a homeless person in New York freezing on the side of the road asking for money to buy blankets for themselves to survive the winter Mm -hmm. most people could look at a homeless person and be like in that situation and be like i want to help them i don't have any spare money or like i don't want to help them because of this Mm -hmm. there's like a rationale for both sides yeah a sociopath would literally look at that person and not feel a damn thing. Okay. That makes sense. Okay? That makes sense. So, I I don't know. That's just uh that's Dallas Weaver's take on the situation, but I think you're a normal person. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think some some part of yourself is lying to yourself as well. I don't know if you want to write this down or not as topic, but well, I'm still on sociopathic behavior since two fifteen. Okay, sounds good. It's but, only been fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I I think another part of it is is you have to really look at yourself and examine yourself, mm-hmm. and are like, how much of what you're saying is ego driven versus like how you would actually react because you don't truly know. Yeah. You you truly don't know. If I lost Liz right now, I know like cuz I've thought about it before. And I've I've thought about how much that would hurt. Yeah. But my reaction to that, I have no idea what that That's would true. Like. That is true cuz uh, I'll give you an example on Fort Union. It was really icy that day. And I was behind a car that was stopped and this lady got out of her car. Right with her ice scraper for a windshield because there was a person on the side of the road that was using a wheelchair. Like, I think they were an obese person and they were like trying to get over the ice and they couldn't do it. And this person stopped in traffic, got out of their car and was like scraping the ice. And my reaction was kind of like, oh, that was a nice thing for them to do. I'm just going to go around this. Like, I had a split-second thought of, like, oh, maybe I should get out and help. But then at the same time, my own... I was just kind of like, nah, it's that's fine. A, that's a typical selfishness of America. Yeah, probably, yeah. Like, honestly, you are 100% a typical American. And it's really funny because you, you see shit like that all the time. Yeah. Um, When I... When I lived in San Diego, there was a guy, um, I was taking my buddy kayaking in the ocean with me and we stopped at the gas station to get some gas on the way to the beach. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy trying to push his car from the intersection and his car literally ran out of gas and died at at like two lights down Mm -hmm. from where the gas station was. Yeah. And like this was kind of one of those complexes where like the the lights were in really close like <laughs> proximity to each other. It was like there was one light and uh to make the turn onto the street and then there was another light 
maybe 20 yards away to make the turn into the gas station. Okay. And I went over and started helping the guy push his truck. Yeah. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but this is, I'm, I'm just trying to lay out an example here. Right. But a bunch of other people at that moment, like people were just driving by him. Right. And at that moment, um, other people started stopping to help him get his truck out of the way and into the gas station. Yeah. And so, like, just instead of just him, myself, and my friend, it turned into, like, five people, and we were able to get him up into the gas station no problem really quick. Yeah. And my buddy literally looked at me and was like, that's an example of how much one person can make a difference. Right. Um, so, and, and still like, I'm, I'm not saying like everyone stopped. I would say like 99% of the people just drove around us and kept going about their business. Yeah. But you know, like one person steps in and then it's more likely that another and another and another is going to step in. That happened to me in Idaho when my car stalled out and my battery died at a gas station. I, I started like my sister was in the car. I was like. Okay, let's push the car out of the way. So I got up, put it in neutral, started pushing the car. Right. We're pushing it. All of a sudden, it gets really lighter. I'm like, oh, we hit a hill. And I turn around, there's this guy pushing it too. And yeah. I was like, oh, shit, okay. And so we push it over. And then he just calls out to this other guy. He's like, do you have jumper cables? I thought they were together. They weren't together at all. The guy jumps around, jumps the car within 30 seconds. Yeah. And uh, I was like, holy shit. Like, I thank the guy. I used to be more like that. Ever since moving to the city, I've become less like that because there's more people and you just kind of get in your own head and like mentality of like... Yeah, and, and that's an that's an aspect of living in the city. That yeah. doesn't mean you're a sociopath. Okay, well, that's good to know. Whew. That's good to um, know. I think it's what, what the important lesson to take away from that is, is don't let your surroundings take away your humanity. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to, you know, I, I, I say this now, and again, I don't fully know because I'll never do it. Mm-hmm. But if I were to move to New York City, like yeah. Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn, whatever, mm-hmm. highly dense, like super dense population, yeah, I would like to think that I'd still have that mentality of like, I'm going to reach out and help people. Yeah. Like, do I know if I'd really do it? I don't. Right. But it's a matter of making that conscious decision of like leaning. For me, it's kind of leaning back on that John, John Dunn quote. Like every man affects me. Like it's not the exact quote, but this is the way I interpret it. Mm hmm. Every human being affects me because I am a member of humanity. Right. So if someone is in need and I'm able to help them and I don't. Yeah. uh, First of all, you're reinforcing that part of humanity that's like just kind of dark and not good. Right. But it also means like you're... You're an average human. Yeah. And 
uh, like 90% of society operates that way. It's making a conscious choice whether or not to do so. Right. Um, reaching out and helping your fellow man, so to speak. Uh, and I don't know, like, I, I don't know personally what changed in me versus my brother as we've gotten older. Um, I, I've been more willing to help people. Yeah. And he's been less willing to help people. Mm-hmm. We're the same age, exact same age, off by a minute. Yeah. Raised in the same environment. Um, and uh, I was visiting him one time a few years ago in Seattle. And this homeless guy asked me for some money. And I gave him, you know, a couple of bucks out of my wallet because I still carried cash back then. Mm-hmm. And my brother's like, don't do that. And I was like, why not? He's like, well, they're just going to do this or that with it. And I was like, well, that's not my de- decision to make. See, and he had the emotional reaction too because he rationalized it in his head. That's where I feel like I'm at. Yeah, yeah, and that's normal. Okay. that That's a normal thing. Like, he rationalized his own view of the situation. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, it's not my decision to make what he does with the money. It's my decision whether or not I give him the money. Sure. And my brother was like, well, I don't give equally. Yeah. And I, I, I thought about that, and I was like, what the fuck does he mean by that? And it means he literally doesn't give to anybody, any charity, any person right. in need, like yeah, family, friends, doesn't matter. He yeah. doesn't give to them. Right. And that's a code for some reason or another he's chose to live by. Does that make him a sociopath? No. Probably not, just probably deeper sociological rationalizations like he he has his own rationales and thought processes behind what he does yeah and i'm different he's not out there being like the smog strangler you know like like killing people in liberty park and stashing their bodies up in the mountains to be found in the spring you know like yeah yeah Yeah. So I think you're safe. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I just gave to the chair this charity for autism. Yeah, you said you bought that band today. And I probably wouldn't have bought it. I would not have bought it if it weren't for, like, it said 100% of the contributions went to the charity. So I was like, okay, I can rationalize that purchase. Okay, yeah. And, and so that's, that's another thing is, um, Especially when it comes to charities, uh, this has been a kind of God. I've been talking a lot on That's this all right. one, but it, it, it's another point that I have to get across. Uh, if you're going to donate to something, mm-hmm. just like if you're you want to exact change in your own company or your your work environment, research it first. Yeah. Um, the Wounded Warrior Project, up until recently, I, I know some of you remember the ads on TV, but um, a lot of their uh, income, what people were doing, uh, donating, was going to quote-unquote administration fees, mm-hmm. which is 
basically to pay the guy that started it. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, you, you, you have to examine right what what you're doing. Like, if they've got like twenty uh, percent or less administration fee cost on your donation, so that means like if you're donating a dollar, eighty percent or more goes to the actual like thing that they're trying to change or help. Yeah, then it's a good thing. I would say anything past that, you've got to be kind of start to like think about it and be suspect of yeah i did a big rant against the wounded warrior project while wearing one of their shirts i remember that yeah i pointed it out to you yeah i didn't even realize but like every one dollar out of a hundred goes to the actual charity yeah it's like one percent yeah yeah it's literally like yeah it's it's a shit show and i don't know if they've changed since we would hope so but um yeah that came out and people were like what the fuck and they've made like a cool logo too it was like a uh, it was like a, a dude a, a soldier doing a, a buddy carry like a fireman carry of another like soldier who's wounded yeah and everyone like sees that and they get like all patriotic and shit and this right. guy got a bunch of money donated to his cause and he was only given one out of every hundred bucks yeah you know and I don't know if that's changed since, but when when that came out and I found out about that, I was like, what in the hell, dude? Yeah. Like, you're supposedly a veteran. You fought with these guys. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. Right. If If my brother lost his legs and somebody was like, Here's five hundred dollars for a state of the art wheelchair or three thousand for mm-hmm. the motorized ones. Yeah. Um for a state of the art wheelchair, I wouldn't turn around and give him three hundred bucks and be like, Here, go buy a wheelchair at Walgreens and keep the other twenty seven hundred for myself. Right. Like <laughs> I just wouldn't do that. Regardless of who it is. I, I had a a person um and I know GoFundMe takes a portion of the funds donated. It's not uh, too much. But um there was a a woman that I served with and I don't, I still don't know what happened to her but she died very abruptly very young like 26 27 years mm-hmm. old okay um recently within the last couple months and uh one of the other people from my old battalion started a GoFundMe for her because she was out of the military and it was like a GoFundMe for her funeral costs and to support her family. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to put 50 bucks in. Yeah. I know some of this is going to GoFundMe, but the way I, I saw it, like I knew this person on a on a personal level. Sure. I, I interacted with them every day for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's like... 30 bucks out of that 50 yeah. gets to gets to her husband and her kids that was worth it to me right but if the if it had been like the 1% like the $1 out of 100 scenario i would have hunted down her husband on facebook and explained who i was Asked for an address and just sent cash in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. 
That's more beneficial. I don't know. Yeah. I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I don't even know what to say now. What? I don't know how to follow up with that. Why not? Because it's a high note. It's a high note. Yeah. Well, we're almost at three hours. Are we? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Shit. Um. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, we could wrap it up if you want. I don't know. I get on these tangents about certain shit, and, like, I get really passionate. And I'm sorry that I took up a lot of airtime today. Uh, but you got me started on some shit that I care a lot about. Yeah, so, you're all good. Um, I guess this has been another episode of Cheap Shot Discussions with Caden Thompson and Dallas Weaver. Please email us um, at cheapshotdiscussions at gmail.com. If you're one of our subscribers, please uh, let us know. Um, let us know where you're from. And uh, we'll, we'll reach out, out to you and we'll, we'll email you back and get a dialogue going. Yeah. Uh, thanks for subscribing and uh, we will see you next week. Bye.